Radio. Yakuza. Yakuza. Yakuza Kick Radio. 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 The Yakuza Kick Radio. This is the bulldozer of Matt Tremont. And if there's one place to listen to on the internet every Thursday, 9 p.m., Yakuza Kick Radio, Tremont says so. Who wants some? God help us, Jesus! God and baby, Jesus! Help us. Ladies and gentlemen of fucking America, this is Danny Havoc, and you have been listening to, or possibly are intending to listen to, the Yakuza Kick fucking radio. Fucking, yeah, Yakuza Kick radio. Hell fucking yeah! My name is Justice Payne, and you are listening to Yakuza Kick radio. You're coming to come on Thursday night, this is a brotherhood, and we all stick together. Like my nuts. I ain't scared of you, motherfucker. Yakuza Kick Radio, the best in internet wrestling radio, period, bar none, just like Adam Cole. Everybody's a cunt but me in the world. I don't know what it is. But you go to the back, and you tell your boss that there's a new Yakuza in town. And it's Yakuza Kick Radio, and we're taking over. Yakuza Kick Radio has risen from the ashes of bad internet radio and become the premier place for any independent professional wrestler to stop and record their voice. Well, this is Mr. Insanity Toby Fine, and if you're not listening to Yakuza Kick Radio, then you're weird. Oh, I don't like the cut of your gym, fella. This is Greg Excellent, Bearded Dragon of the Northeast. You're listening to Yakuza Kick Radio. If you're not, probably watching porn. You have this muted. You should be listening to it. Jason Man. Where are Biggie and Tupac? Yakuza Kick Radio. Give a nigga rope on that cowboy, guys. All you have to do is listen to Yakuza Kick Radio, but you couldn't. Now look at that guy. You only fuck that. Black D. Bullshit, man. Motherfucker. Fuck you. Fuck you and fuck you. Who's next? And now, ladies and gentlemen, for the introduction. Hosted by J. Cat Morris. You are now listening to Yakuza Kick Radio. So I'd like to welcome back to the show at this time one of my favorite people to talk to, Joker. What's going on, man? Uh, good to see you again. Yeah, man. It's been a while. Um, last I talked to you, you left CZW, came on the show, buried everything. Um, so, I mean, we got some catching up to do since then. Um, I, I heard you on Sozio's podcast, and um, I didn't know that you had showed up to that snowstorm show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I remember it like, like if it happened yesterday, you know what I mean? So, I mean... Whatever the reason may be, I look at, I mean, it was a fucked up situation to begin with, just sitting there and just waiting. And then we had our agreement, like everyone heard on Sozio's show. And, you know, the blatant disrespect, basically, coming from that fucking piece of shit. I, I don't know. It's just one of those things. You know what I mean? I try to just not think about it or, or whatever, but, you know, it happened. I just, after that, I just never looked back, said, fuck them, and then I just bounced. That's it. Yeah, that's crazy, man, because a lot of times as fans, you know, we're, we're over here hoping this guy comes back, this guy gets brought back. They might be in the back. 
Yeah. <laughs> and they're just not using them. Yeah, yeah. It was a, it was a, it was a good, a good group of us back there. You know what I mean? Like Chuck Taylor and shit. We're all back there, and you know, it's like what shows. It's like the main thing for me, which shows just seeing a lot of my boys. You know what I mean? It's like, like a high school reunion after fucking so many years. Like you got guys living out in the Midwest and out down, you know, in Cali, even some in Mexico, and then it's just the one show we're all together and we catch up like if it was yesterday. And that's the main motivation. And then, of mm-hmm. course, doing craft. But, you know, you get people like a fucking DJ, and he's not the only one. There's many people that are just like him, even, even I mean, some even worse. And they just put a damper on everything that you, you love so much. You know what I mean? And yeah. you just feel like you've been robbed. So Yeah. Was there any communication or any kind of, you know, justification about what happened that night? Or, or he just oh, left it alone? Nothing. Nothing. There was nothing. It was that Flash was the hired locker room agent at the time, and he was going back and forth trying to fill me in on any updates or whatnot. And, you know, Maven Bentley's doing his thing, what he normally does. There's, you know, no point for him to stop to really try to, you know, come up with, you know, a remedy for the situation because he's busy doing his thing. I mean, I give that motherfucker so much credit in the world to deal with, you know, DJ shit. You know what I mean? And yeah. been patient the whole time and riding with him from the very fucking beginning. But, you know, it was there was no remedy. It was nothing. It just, I parted ways that night. And like I said, I remember looking at Gacy and he was the, the first and last person I saw that night. I was like, look, man, uh, yeah, I'm out of here. I'm not, I'm done. I'm not coming back. Mm-hmm. He's like, really? He's like, yeah. He's like, you know, handshake, bro hug. And he's like, look, man, uh, I'll see you. You know what I mean? And then I left. That was it. Yeah. Did anybody try to pull you back in or call you like, hey, just come back, you know, nothing? I think everyone was so focused on the show, you know, uh, their placement and, you know, match setting, stuff like that. And I left. It was like I came in, said, you know, shake my, you know, shake hands and shit and greet everybody. And when I left, it was like I was like a ghost. I just said, fuck it. I just bounced. That was it. So that was the last a lot of them saw me. Wow. And there was, you know, even after that, there was no one that reached out to you to say, hey, you know, come back. Nah, DJ reached out to me like, fuck, uh, maybe a few months later is when B-Boy uh, was coming back, like his first show back. Mm-hmm. And I guess his original plan fell through and this fucking cocksucker actually had the audacity to text me. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like nothing happened to ask me if I wanted to do it. I left it. I just left it alone. Because at the time I was I was already put in motion working with game changers so it was just mm-hmm. and just wrote the time and i just left it alone like you know what i mean there was no no point for me to respond to the situation i didn't want to get fired yeah. up and it goes in this whole fucking back and forth even though it'll never go back and forth but i'm not going to waste my time and energy just to text this piece of shit how i feel about it yeah. just left it alone, just kept going and then yeah. i saw it Probably a few months after that, like when Nate Webb's in town, like I discussed before, like he's family to me. He's mm. always in my house. And then I literally leave him my whole fucking house and I'll go to work or whatnot. And I took him to that show, ran, you know, I, I give, you know, I, I'm cordial. You know what I mean? I'll shake your hand. I'm, I'm a fucking guest. I'm never, you know, never going to put myself above that in someone else's place. Like I'm a guest. I'll come in, give you the respect and whatnot. And that's it. And nothing was said then, you know, like I'm at, Nate has a funny story where DJ's talking and I'm standing there and I, it was a group of people. I, Nate knows like he's, it's more vivid for Nate, but he's like, you know, 
DJ looks at me and is like, well, I know that joke. And like, Bill fucking hates my fucking guts. But, you know, and then I'm just standing there and Nate looks at me in the face and I have this stone cold death stare. Like, like, why <laughs> the fuck would you even say my name? You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You got to get with Nate with that story. Like, it's fucking he says it. every. He tells me every time. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know there's not much of like locker room leaders or anything anymore, but. You know, as far as CZW, it's like half of like these young cats, they're like the top cats in the company now. So it's not like, you know, it used to be you had Justice Payne and he'd go to, you know, get Messiah in there and he got different people in there because he was trying to make the company better. But that's what I meant too. like nobody else like reached out like, yo, Joker needs to be here. But there really isn't any of that old guard left there. I mean, a lot of the younger ones now, they feel that way right now. And like, you know, your head trainers now, you got uh, Gabby Gilbert, uh, Jimmy Rave, and then you got the uh, the rep boys. And, mm-hmm. I mean, those kids had a, a great upbringing, you know, a humble upbringing. They're trying to get it to where to how it used to be. Like, when I went to the last H2O show, uh, I ran into a kid, and, you know, I, I shook everyone's hand. He said, hey, when you get a minute, like, can I talk to you? And I'm like, I'm like, all right, you know what I mean? I'm like, <laughs> like I don't know who the fuck this kid is. So we go outside, we just talk and he was, you know, he's training. He's like, look, and it's, it's one of the most deeply humbling experiences when someone comes up to you like, look, I've watched all your footage. I don't ever consider myself to be like a top guy or one of the best or anything. I don't like, it's just, it's weird to me. And he's telling me all, you know, like, Hey, I've watched all your footage. I love your intensity. It's what I study. And, and, you know, I'm humbled by it. Mm. And when he told me, trains at the CZW Dojo, and he kind of made this kind of like, yeah, I train there, expecting a, like a different type of response from me, which you're not going to get much response. My thing is I told him like anyone else, hey, look, you have an opportunity of a lifetime. You want to do what you want to do. You know what I mean? What your passion, what your love, your, what your love's for. Take advantage of it. Go there and train. At least get the basics out of it, and you're trained with great guys. It's not like DJ is the fucking dipshit that's going to keep coming in and take over training. That's how it used to be. I don't know how it is now. You know, yeah. look at a guy like Joe Gacy. You know, dude got signed. He came from the same type of beginnings as a lot of these kids are at the CZW Dojo. Even when DJ at the time was like head trainer, like he yeah. came from that. But look where he is now. You know what I mean? So you take advantage of, you know, the opportunities you have at hand. And then from then on, it's up to you if you want to perpetuate the bullshit teachings or you gain the experience by going around learning from other people and having conversations like you did with me. So Mm -hmm. it was like a humbling experience. And he was telling me how him and them were always discussing, like to get it, how it used to be. Cause I know with Nate, when he, when I took him to that show, like he knew nobody. Mm -hmm. It was just weird feeling to him. It's like, it's not how it used to be. And Nate has like this thing about people he doesn't know and he's around. So I told him, I was like, look, it's just the way it is now. It's like, No matter what you look at, look at every fucking promotion. It's almost the same these days. You know what I mean? It's we're so stuck on like how we loved independent wrestling, like not even 10 years ago. And you look at it now, it's just, you know, it's going through some like a major, you know, evolution. And then hopefully after this COVID bullshit is done, like there's a nice resurgence of wrestling. Like finally people are going to start filling in seats. And being mm-hmm. in an event, I know a lot of these people miss being at an event. They miss that energy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, going back to some of your last CZW stuff, obviously the, the Masada match was, you know, something worked to be short and no contest and all of that. 
Yeah. Um, it never turned into anything else because, you know, I mean, how CZW goes. But um, does that type of thing make you hesitant about doing, like, drawn-out angles? Because if you just would have went, like, look, let's just go you know, do a half hour match, just murder each other for, you know, and then just put that in the books because there might not be coming back to it, you know? Well, me, I was at Jesus' uh, house last night to see my goddaughter, and we were mm-hmm. talking about that. And I don't have a problem with direction. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, I'm an employee, and you're the, you're the promoter, you're the employer. You tell me what you want, and my job is to do it. You know, that's just, just how I was brought up. So when it came down to like the Masada, even with Eddie and uh, Homicide, the Briscoes, it was like you put you book these guys in advance, giving them a program like, hey, I'm going to have you for the next three months, four months, whatever the case may be. And the first night is what establishes the angle. What what are we going to go from night one? You know what I mean? First Mm -hmm. encounter. You don't want to go over clean because now, all right. What is there left to do? Like, there's got to be an angle. It's got to be a story on why we're going to continue coming after each other. Mm-hmm. So go into the first night and it's like, all right, look, what do you what do you want for a finish? You know what I mean? And then it's like, oh, I uh, uh, just could just come up with something. And then you just walk the fuck away. And it's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, like <laughs> this is your money going into this shit, you know? Yeah. And then at the end of the day. And how I look at it like like business and probably because now that I'm a mature adult in the working class and I look at everything as in you make your locker room happy, you know, you make and then that that's going to create a better product. You build the morale. Mm-hmm. It's all about morale. Customers are customers. Fuck them. They're, 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 with one customer gone, you're going to get 10 more. You know what I mean? Yeah. But the employee, it's that's a person you're building up, you know, to, yeah. to, to pretty much perpetuate your beliefs in your business. So with, with the locker room, once you get that, the morale up on that with, you know, pay going up just to buy just a little bit and then show appreciation, a handshake goes a long fucking way. So mm-hmm. once you build that morale, these guys, it's how CZW was back in the day. They will fucking bleed for you. They will mm-hmm. fucking risk life and limb for you because yeah. they believe the product. It's all about adopting that belief. You know, and then um, just pushing that forward ab- above anything else. But with the situation with the Masada, uh, fucking SST and the prison, it was the same shit over and over again. We go out there, you tell us this, and then we're like, all right, let's go. And then it just nothing happens afterwards. You know, like mm-hmm. my last match so was at the Flyer Skate Zone. It was against Homicide. And it was one of those matches. It wasn't built up because it was supposed to be built up from that cage of death match between us and Kingston and homicide. So mm-hmm. you would, you're getting Joker and homicide in a ring together for the first time ever one-on-one. And where was the energy behind that? Cause that yeah. motherfucker more worried about his own bullshit than it is yeah. with anybody else. Any angle he's been involved with by coincidence, he puts more focus and more emphasis in that than anybody else. Everyone's sure. like, I, I just, just, you're, you know, here, you're, you're up. I just, you know, do something. Because mm-hmm. what kind of businessman is that? Like, if you're saying, like, to this day, like me and I know we're talking last night, it's like you had the company. Well, what, what, how, how many years has it been since he bought it from John? Like, what's that? Well, I came home for my second tour in 2009, the end of 2009. So 
Yeah, around that time. That's when he got it. So it's been over 10 years, yeah. you know? And you haven't really gone on TV. And IWTV, I'm sorry, it's not the same thing as fucking TV. So what's your mm -hmm. motivation? You're not going to be a fucking millionaire. As far as I can tell, talking to a lot of guys, you ain't fucking packing an arena, put money in your fucking pocket. So mm -hmm. what's the point? You yeah. know, you might sell fucking Lucy cigarettes on a corner somewhere. And it will yeah. probably make money. <laughs> yeah. I mean, with DJ, it always seemed about him. You know, it was like whoever can get him bookings, they're on the show. And, you know, the other guys like, you know, Sammy was on the show and Sammy got in his ear. Next thing you know, all of Ohio's booked. I mean, yeah. it, that I, just seemed like the deal. Like, I remember working with John. And then, I, and then I've always asked them things like, why don't you do any inter, inter promotional things with certain companies? Because the last one he did, besides Ring of Honor, was Wild Side. And the Wild Side angle, I remember, like, to me, that was hot. That was dope. And it, it was simple. It was like, you know, what did he have to gain from them? Because at the time, CZW had such, like, a notoriety worldwide. Like, what is it he would gain from, say, WXW Germany? And no offense to them, but what is it to gain from them? They have a shit to gain from Combat Zone mm -hmm. with that name, working with that company, you know? Yeah. And now I get it. But then when DJ did it, what did he gain from that? Would he get a couple of fucking Germany bookings and that's about it? Mm -hmm. You know? Or he did yeah. something with, with, with Big Japan, which, you know, John, there's a reason behind all that that John one day can discuss. But, you know, I'm not the subject matter expert by no, by no means. But at the, at the end of the day, there was a reason why. And then with DJ, the last couple of times, it's like the first time when Rory went, Rory was, you know, doing pretty decent. Second time, apparently DJ did a backdoor deal with them and had him fucked in this tour where he mm -hmm. made a lot less. You know, G's went over there and it was miserable for him the second time. Because he was there, what, for three fucking months. It was almost miserable. You know, I mean, being... The only American at the time, you, you don't speak the language, you, you're you just learning the culture. But, you know, it's like a lot of these things that DJ did and he may have reason behind it, whatever, a method to his bullshit madness. But, I mean, at the end of the day, it's like there was things that weren't done because there was you're not going to benefit out of it. But mm -hmm. they have a shit benefit from you. And that's what happened. It's like having Gabe Spilowski in your fucking locker room. Don't know why he's there. But this fucking guy is stealing everyone you had because yeah. me, me, Masada and Gabe had a meeting one day, one night at, in the back of the fire skate zone. And he wanted to bring both me and Masada in for Evolve. So mm -hmm. the deal was one of us we brought in first would be Brig, then it would be me. He said he didn't want to bring two monsters in at one time. Yeah. So I was all for it. I was like, all right, yeah, I'm interested because I, you know, at the time I, I kind of wanted to, you know, touch more ground. So Masada went. <laughs> And he did a show on fucking, I think it was Chicago, some shit with them. And after his experience, he explained it to me. And he was done after that point. And I looked at it, I was like, fuck it. I'm not, I'm not going to do it. Because yeah. if you had such a bad experience at that moment, at that time, then what the fuck am I going to do to waste my fucking time? You know what I mean? And, yeah. at the, and, and around that time frame, I'm working for the state. So if I take time off, I lose money depending on the payday. If the payday is going to match up with what I make, then awesome. At least it balances out. But... I'm not, I'm not at the point where I could start being in a fucking car ride with a bunch of guys, you know, a 10 hour plus car ride anymore. I'm done with all that shit, you know? Yeah. And it's, now it's just, you look at it as an, an adult now, like where's the benefit at, at this point in your life? Yeah.
Um, I mentioned Justice Payne before when we were talking. Um, what was your thoughts on his passing? Because I know, I mean, you had to have been it, around him a little bit. That shocked me. It was, uh, like, I remember seeing a lot of his posts because we're friends on Facebook. And uh, uh, some of it was very, you know, a little cryptic in messaging. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't get the full story. Like, everyone has their own take on it, on what happened. But uh, I wanted to reach out to him. And it's one of those things, like, until someone passes, prior to that, you at one point wanted to reach out to him. And then you end up not because life takes over, things happen, you know, uh, you know, you just don't think it, you just forget about it. And this was one of the moments where it's like one of the first moments I'm just like, what the fuck? Like, I should have reached out to him, you know, mm. um, to get I, I don't know if you would want to talk about it. You know, some people just don't want to talk about the things they go through. Yeah. And when that happened, that shocked the fuck out of me. Yeah. I mean, right away, I just, when I heard the news, I thought about all the posts. I, I, I remember the pictures of him and his daughters, uh, the pictures of him and his work site, being proud, being an iron worker. And then, you know, whatever motivated him to do what he did, I still didn't get the full story. You know, is it an actual intentional suicide? Is it an accident? Whatever. Still, no. Everyone that I've encountered with can't give me a hundred percent of what happened. It's it's just little little bits here and there, and you just you almost have to put a story together to kind of make you, you know, somewhat. Not I wouldn't say feel better, but at least have some type of closure to what happened. Yeah. So still, I don't know. And the same thing with a lot of the other guys. You know, with Bar, I remember seeing with Z Bar like a lot of mm-hmm. his posts and. The the fondest times I had with bars when we toured IW Mid South together, and that was probably, in my opinion, and I stated to him when we were touring together, was it was the best wrestling I've ever seen him perform. Period. Mm-hmm. Where he took it, he he had this whole new love, took it serious, wanted to be more of a serious competitor, finishing guys off with a beautiful brain buster, and that was the last time I saw him was around that the tour, and then you know he moved down to Florida and. He was doing decent down there and slowly just things just turned for the worst. And, you know, he stopped posting for so many months and then the news broke and just another one. It's like, dude, what the fuck? Yeah. And then recently Mitch Ryder died, too. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that. And he's another good guy. And it's yeah. like, you know, my girlfriend's a nurse and she was asking me if, if it's possible. If it could be like CTE. And I mentioned to a few guys. And some people said no, and some people, yeah. And if you think about it, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I've had my share of shit ton of concussions and knockouts. And, you know, I have, you know, post-traumatic stress from, you know, my deployments and stuff like that. And I see a therapist, but it's, I mean, I, I could probably admit I've had suicidal ideations in the past. You know, I mm-hmm. go through depression. There are times that, you know, I would deny the fuck out of depression, denied having flashbacks and things. I have trouble sleeping at times as a, you know, I'm just hyper vigilant. But I mean, with these guys and how everything's starting to uh, come full, this I wouldn't be sh- surprised if it was CTE. If you think about all the, you know, head injuries we've suffered over time, bad bumps, chair shots and things of that nature and mood changes and some guys and i'm not saying all of them recreational drug use or whatnot and alcoholism i mean a lot of things play a key factor and it's not an easy life being a pro wrestler at all especially that's your source of income and it's 
your full-time job. It's not, it's not easy, you know, and then God knows what goes on in their personal life that we don't see or they don't talk about. Yeah. Just for a long time, it was kind of, you know, as a longtime CZW fan, it was wild because you'd start seeing these guys just disappear. They went from like fan favorites and guys you'd see every month to like your Lobos, your wife beaters, your Rick Blades, just gone, not, you know, not a- attached to anything, not waving to fans, not, I mean, just gone from the scene at all together. Even if they weren't wrestling, they weren't on social media, they weren't on anywhere. And it was like, wow, they just disappeared. And then suddenly now you see names start popping up and dropping off. I guess you're better off just disappearing if that's the move. Yeah, it seems like uh, when you go through a time where you want to be done from it, like in a way, retire or walk away from a period, you don't want nothing to do with social media. It's all you're going to see is fans hitting you up and you're, you know, a lot of your co former co-workers posting videos and wrestling things come up and video sharing, picture sharing, whatnot. And you just want to separate yourself from all that so you don't get that urge to come back for a lot of people. I went through that, you know? Yeah. You'll see it. And then it's like still to this day, I don't watch wrestling for shit because it's not, to me, it's not entertaining anymore. I have other things I can fucking watch, you know? But mm. it's... I could see it from the standpoint for a lot of those guys that they wanted to walk away from, be away from. It's either best for their family, best for their mental health, best for their job, best for their personal life overall. And I think it's one of the reasons because I went through it as well, you know, and Mm -hmm. I've learned to ignore a lot of things. But if you're walking away from something that was your whole like you spent your life perfecting and mastering and you want to be done entirely from it, you have to cut yourself from all distractions anything that you would feel would pull you into it's like a recovering fucking junkie you don't want to be near any of that shit you know what i mean nothing even close to it that will remind you you know you want to go shoot up snort or smoke or whatever you know what i mean like you probably stay away from parties with a lot of friends because the last time you remembered was you were at one of these parties and you got fucked up at, you know, mm-hmm. so I would say it's a, it's a very similar thing. Cause a lot of them I haven't heard from at all. And yeah. I would see like, like beater at it out of random. Last time I saw him was at a, a season of his show. I think it was one of his last ones where he made a surprise appearance. Mm-hmm. And then there was another one. Where he never appeared out. He was just in the locker room. I barely recognize him with glasses, looking fucking studious and shit. And, you know, fucking, he was there to show support to the boys, and that was one of the last times I saw him. Yeah. It, it's wild because, you know, on the end of CZW and the hardcore and the, the crazy shit they were doing, I mean, you know, money's not the the object. If anything, you know, you get the notoriety and the fame from this, this core, you know, following, this cult following. Yeah. And you achieved that at such a high level. These These people love you. To, I mean, you're a household name to them. And then when it wraps up, you got to just get the fuck away from it. Like, you can't even bask in that glory that you've earned. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, it's wild. It, it was like, like I said with, uh, with Niles, is when you first come in, there's such, like, a love for it. You know, it's like, you know, a kid and they're their first teddy bear. And slowly you start progressing. You start, you know, you can go either. There's so many different routes to go. And the more... To me, speaking of my experience, the more serious I got with it and perfected my craft, I, I, I say I was never a WWE kind of guy. Like, I never got on the mic and felt comfortable cut promos. Like, I could curse the fuck out of anybody, and it sounds like a promo, but for me, naturally, 
when it comes down to wrestling, I can't do it. I just can't put the two together naturally. Mm. So I wanted to perfect my craft and be more of a, a sportsman with the business. You know what I mean? Like to bring the the lethality back to pro wrestling, bring back legitimacy to pro wrestling. So where if I'm in a bar and someone points at me, yo, he's a pro wrestler. I'm not going to have some cocksucker trying to fucking call me out. I want that fucking yeah. cocksucker kind of looking at me like, damn, he'll probably drop me on my fucking head. And yeah, pretty much that's what's going to happen. Yeah. But that's what I wanted to bring back. And, you know, you start going into that, you start getting the stresses and the headaches because it, it's not, you know, you got so many people around you that are coming up and, and you know, coming through the business and different platforms. And you start to kind of get pushed back a little bit, you know, and, uh, you know, they're making way for these guys, this new crap coming in. It seems like the, the fucking Instagram wrestlers and shit. Mm-hmm. So they're coming through now. And the, frustra- the frustrating part be, uh, to it all is the fact that am I doing something that's wrong? Um, is there not a place for me in this business anymore because it's evolving to this wherever the fuck it's going to now? And, you know, it, to me, it was all about becoming the best at what I did, not the best overall, the best at what I did, what made me feel good at the end of the day. So I still had butterflies going through that curtain. I still want to give a hundred percent. It got to a point where my knee is okay, but I didn't feel as though as of last year that I can give someone a hundred percent that they deserve. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go around and, you know, be a little off my step, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, some movement changes, uh, speed changes and, I didn't want to come in half-assed, or to me, it seems like it's half-assed, but for a lot of people, it might be 100% for them, you know? Yeah. But the frustrating part was, like, you know, over time, it's like, you you feel like your spot wasn't there anymore. It's different. You're being pushed aside in, in a way, like, you know, the seriousness isn't respected at some parts anymore, so you, you kind of just fall back in the shuffle, and you, you drown yourself and, and so much like unwanting stress and aggravation and, you know, and slowly you start to deteriorate and just back away entirely. Like you forget why it is you came into this business to begin with, you mm-hmm. know, like the last H2O show, like Homicide and Low Life Louie reminded me just from that match, reminded me why I fucking chose pro wrestling from starting at the eighth grade when I got into wrestling school. Like they reminded me that. That pure love. It was like fucking, you know, making me believe in motherfucking Santa Claus again. White Santa mm-hmm. Claus. But making <laughs> me believe that all over again. And I'm like, wow. Now you just gave me a whole new outlook and motivation to want to come back so I can have my closure finally. And be yeah. done. Finally, I can walk away in my terms now. Before, yeah, it would kind of like my terms. Because a lot of the bullshit, I'm not going to fucking go away for killing somebody because that was that was the next step i was gonna fucking brutally murder somebody mm. you know but and i was you know in a deep dark place at the time going through my own shit and i don't like posting shit on facebook you see i don't post much shit I just post my daughter i share things and that's about it and no one needs to know what the fuck i go through it's no one's fucking business just you see me just hey i'll say hi all that other shit i'm not a person that likes to talk about my fucking feelings so you know, at that time, it was just a little dark for me, and I just needed to separate myself before something were to happen. I was looking at just trying to, you know, raise, you know, start a family, raise a family and whatnot. And my new mission in life is being a father for my daughter, a mentor, and an example. 
And now it's like, after seeing that match, like, I need that closure. There's still a part of me that's been missing. You know, yeah. it, was, it was part of my identity. I've done this since I was 15 years old. And it's all I knew. It's what got me away from drugs because I could have I could have been selling fucking drugs on a corner in Kensington. It got me away from gang life, got me away from doing a lot of stupid shit. And yeah. I opened that, you know, because it changed my life for the better in ways, you know, despite the little bullshit, you know, that came along with it. But with everything else, nothing's all fucking sunshine, rainbows and candy drops and shit. It's a fucking cruel, horrible world out there. But now it's like I'm at the point now I just want my closure. There's so many projects, like I stated before, that that me, Homicide, Low Key, and fucking G's all have that we have collaborate. We just wanted to bring it to light, you know, show the world what it is, and that's it. And then once we're done, we're done. Now I can yeah. just finally sit back and, you know, just be proud of what I did and finally have closure. Yeah. When you came into Jersey All Pro, it really seemed like that's what you guys were putting together. You know, you had that crew and that shit looked dangerous as hell. I mean, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I guess Jersey All Pro was just going to kind of fizzle out, you know, when it came down to Fat Frank not being there anymore. Um, what was your thoughts on just overall, like, you know, the vibe and just the negative turn it ended up taking? Because it, it looked like it had all the promise in the world. The vibe, I've always liked Jersey All Pro. I felt more at home in locker rooms like that because I'm around guys that I've looked up to since high school and the same work ethic. And I, I try to aspire to get to their level and to be accepted by them. And I could say I've been accepted finally, you know, after you know, the last couple of years. But I was looking forward to as I when when Jersey or Jersey All Pro is making its round again and its resurgence. Like I, I told Homicide, look, I want to be exclusive for Jersey All Pro. That's it, exclusive. Mm-hmm. So you know, there's a lot of you know a lot of talks and stuff of having it on a monthly basis, and a lot of you know I don't get into the behind the scenes things on how you know it goes into promoting, getting the building, financing, all that stuff. And I guess you know what finally made Jersey All turn for the worse was probably due to you know the lack of possibly funding venues i mean a whole bunch of factors that go into play that i don't know for certain homicide can answer that you know because i know there's a collective of people that wanted to bring it back from homicide low-key danny demonto there's a lot of guys you know uh, uh fucking steve mack i mean they all wanted to bring it back and i i guess it was just too much at the time you know I mean, I wouldn't be surprised that it would make a resurgence at some point. I look forward to it. If it happens, Mm -hmm. it's still possible. But I just think the timing and everything going on, you know, and especially after the Fat Frank passing, I I don't think it was like the time. Nothing was not all the uh, I's were dotted and the T's crossed at the moment. And then just, you know, what happened, happened. I mean, one of them can explain it more. But for me, from what I've experienced, from what I'm seeing is, you know, that's my educated guess of, you know, what happened. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people have a lot to say about Loki, and I've always been a fan. Um, You have a lot of respect for him. What's your thoughts on why people have such an issue with working with Loki and and all of those things? Loki is like a guy that I have at work. One of my best uh, best friends I work is security lieutenant, right? And he has a type A personality. That's why I like to refer to it. There's guys in the army that I've 
you know, served with and, 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 you know, been roommates with, that they have this type A personality. You don't understand, like, their sarcasm, their humor. They're always looking like, you know, they're serious. They look like a dick. I even come across that way at work to a lot of people until they finally talk to me. But with Key, it's once I got to really know him, we see things very similar. Um, I have a greater understanding of him, and we have long, like, one of the last conversations I had with him on the phone lasted almost two fucking hours because we it was weird because it's like I'm talking to a guy that I'm that I'm getting the uh, preconceived notion that this dude's a fucking asshole. You know what I mean? And this is coming from a lot of people that I've worked with him, worked alongside him. Uh, I don't think any of them really had a chance to sit down and have a fucking conversation with him, honestly. But yeah. I'm sitting there and I'm like baffled. I'm like this fucking guy sees the same things as I do. We're, we're fans of the same fucking thing. You know, we have the same type of ideas and we're just throwing them back and forth, you know? And yeah. I, I was expecting in, in, in a way, and it's wrong for me to do this, but for him to kind of like belittle me in a way, even over the phone, but he didn't, you know? Mm. And being around him at shows, like the dude is like, he's like family to me, you know? Like we're close and like, it's still... I'm still humbled by it. You know, it's like, this is one of the guys I've fucking watched growing up, you know, and especially in the business, you know, seeing his intensity, the way he wrestles, his uh, fluidity in the ring. Like the, I don't think there's really many people that move like him in the ring, like him moving rings. Like you moving throughout your fucking living room, you know, where everything's at, you know, yeah. and he's a dude, he's like a fucking cat in the ring. But I, I just think like a lot of these guys just have this, like, they just don't understand them. that. That's that. That's, me you know i've mm-hmm. never had an issue i just had a preconceived notion of how it was so i was you know kind of standoffish in a way and give him his space and you know go greet him shake his hand give him the respect that is due but then when i finally got to have a long conversation got to sit down with them at shows and things it's different and then i'm looking at like wow i'm probably looked at the same way at work you know like people think i'm always fucking angry and i just tell them i just have this face of focus i'm just focused on what i'm doing that's it yeah. i don't get distracted with all the dumb shit and then they hear me blasting the fuck out of somebody you know hearing the shit coming out of my mouth and they probably had the same uh, notion of me you know and mm-hmm. i'm a dick when i you sit down with him one of the nicest fucking guys ever but with him i just think it's that's that's the case mostly like they don't he's has that type a personality you just have to sit down with him and just talk and that's it and then you'll get a whole different outlook on who low-key actually is i mean don't get me wrong he ain't someone to fuck with he's not someone to talk shit about i mean he's not gonna hold back if he has something to fucking say he'll fucking say it and but at the end of the day the guy like he takes this craft so fucking serious like it's a sport to him and i would give him the all the respect in the fucking world for doing that. And he helps like helps me with, you know, how I want to bring legitimacy back into pro wrestling. You know, like I said, with, with the story, you want to go to a bar and someone points out as being a pro wrestler. You want to be able to, to back it up, not look like one of these little pretty boy fucking, you know, little bitch boys that you got going on now. When you point at them, oh, he's a pro wrestler. Motherfucker looks like a backup fucking dancer for like the backstreet boys or some shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, that cage match that you guys had, um, within it, I mean, you guys worked an angle where you were going to be taken out of the match and I I was shooting ringside. I thought you were hurt legit. So you sold the shit out of that. But, um, what, you know, what was behind that? Like, cause 
yeah, I would expect of you to play like a huge role in that match and it just be brutal on all ends, but I wasn't even supposed to be in it. It was like D got hurt and there was yeah, stitches in his head, right? Yeah. Last minute, just throw me in. I was like, I was like, okay. And then we just came up with ideas like, look, let's just do it this way. Because the whole the whole angle was basically to like to boost up hit squat, you know? Mm-hmm. And I I mean, we just threw some ideas. And I was like, look, I just want to go in there, do a couple things, whatever, nothing crazy. We'll go have fun and just get me the fuck out. And then we came up with the idea and boom, and it set up for the finish with low key and them, you know, and then, you know, shit happened afterwards, you know, that that was supposed to happen. And he ended up, I think one of them landed around his fucking head and he fucking snapped. But, uh, you know, it that was what went into it. It was supposed to be homicide low key against hit squad and, you know, homicide gets hurt and I had to just go in and fill it in. And it was just like spur of the moment. It was literally maybe 10 minutes before that match was starting. And that's when we just boom, 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 boom. And that was it. Cool. Um, when you went into um, Game Changer, uh, obviously they, they kind of took a lot of what CZW wasn't doing and just kind of ran with that. What was the vibe you got when you went in there and, you know, saw kind of the atmosphere as opposed to what you were used to, the old CZW and whatnot? It reminded me of old CZW. Like, the first time John was there, was uh, was it, Tournament Survival? Was that one or two? John was on the first one, yeah. It was the first one. So I had a lot of the old CZW vibe vibe to it, which I like because, you know, you had, you know, Masada there. Zandig was there. I mean, it just had – the locker room was real chill. You know, like no one's in there that thinks they're better than anybody else or above anybody. It was real humbling, really chill. And that's what I like about, you know, locker rooms, you know, certain locker rooms. It makes you want to come back and work there because, you know, the the atmosphere. Um, You know, first time wrestling Scott Summers, like I I still to this day want to wrestle him again. I have to give him the proper finish that is due. A freak accident happened, breaks his fucking ankle completely in half. I uh, end up spending the weekend in my place. This is and this is the first time I met the fucking guy. You know yeah. what I mean? And right away we clicked immediately mm-hmm. and drove him to the airport and everything. We got to hang out. We still communicate, you know, to this day now. But the feel of the locker room was 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 decent. Like I, I liked it a lot. It made me want to come back. I mean, basically what game changers doing, like you stated before, was taking the things that Caesar wasn't doing and they're pushing forward you know it's mm-hmm. it's almost like how czw was but to now you know yeah do you think um the driving force behind that was more brett or more danny because now these guys bumped heads and they split ways and they got a little bit going on here a little bit going on there but um <laughs> what do you think gave it that vibe i i think it's a collaboration of brett being around Caesar for so long, but Danny has the imagination to drive. Like Bloodsport was his idea. I remember he approached me about it at that tournament survival, explaining to me the whole concept. At first, I was like, "Wow!" Like I, I was even saying it to Homicide. I was like, at the, my you know first uh, acknowledgement of Bloodsport, I'm thinking to myself like, "Wow!" Like how are you going to pull it off? Because it's like not many guys in the business can pull off. Like the MMA style, make it look legitimate, you know, besides like low key and 
Matt Riddle, but only because Matt Riddle has that in his background and that's where he came from, but not many people. So, you know, he, so he explained the idea to me. And at first I was kind of hesitant, like, how is it going to work? I couldn't do the first one. I, I think it's like work, work related issue, um, like conflict of uh, scheduling. But after the first one, I had a, you know, success. The second one, even bigger. Uh, and I, and then with the spring break and things, I think honestly, and my personal experience, Danny is the imagination behind all those things, all those shows from Joey Janelle's spring break to blood sport. I think Tour- tournament survival is a collaboration with him and uh, him and Brett, but Danny is probably the main, uh, you know, has the imagination for those things is now you look at what ICW you have no holds bar, which is kind of a rendition of blood sport. Mm-hmm. Um, if you didn't know any better, you're thinking Danny's biting from Brett. But if you really look at it from the beginning, it's, you know, Danny's the driving force behind all these imaginations, these ideas. So yeah. now it's you're seeing it in ICW. I just think personally, like with no holds bar, it's a great concept and stuff. I think it should be not held as often as, as it is, it should be one of those every so often type shows. I think now he has a concept called Pit Fighter, I believe. Mm-hmm. It's a you know, it's a nice concept, you know, especially with everything going on now. You have to have new ideas to keep people interested these days. And Danny's the right guy to do that, you know. Like he's he's for the boys, you know. I I have no um uh, ill thoughts about either the two between, you know, Brett Lardell and Danny DeMonto. Like they've always treated me with respect and professionally. And I, you know, would like to say I do the same thing with them. Whatever happened between the two to cause the split, uh, I don't have the full story. Like I said, I don't keep, you know, tabs on what's going on. It comes to me. Like anything that happens, it's going to come back to me at some point and I'll hear about it or I'll get some type of, you know, a small little story about the situation and someone else will come with something. So it's just putting a puzzle together, but I still didn't get a hundred percent of what happened is I still have contact with both of them and out of respect, they don't tell me what happened or how mm-hmm. it happened, which is a good thing, you know, but I honestly, Danny was <laughs> the mad professor behind the mad scientist behind a lot of those shows. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so with CZW, obviously, you know, the whole speaking out, everything hit the fan with that. Um, DJ has been creepy since day one. I, you know, I said it as soon as this thing happened and Lefisto was on, you know, making her video and everything. But that sup girl thing was like a running joke for years of him hitting girls up, trying to be cute and shit. And as I'm drinking from my dick straw. But <laughs> so, I mean, so what was your thoughts on, you know, everything that came out of that? And how do they just pick up and run again? <laughs> it's like when I when I the first inkling I had of it was the Lufisto video and I watched it to its entirety listening mm-hmm. to it and you know having the honor of working and you know side by side with her and being in the same locker room and watching her work I've always been a fan of hers from the beginning I didn't get the full story on what it was that went behind it like I'm listening to the video and apparently like with their matches they're being sold at branded as soft porn um, I didn't understand it uh, to its entirely, but I I can see the stress, the grief that went, you know, went with whatever went down. 
and mm-hmm. how she was treating the locker room, which I never personally saw when we've worked together. Um, but of course, I had a long hiatus in between. But when I, I forgot who I was talking to, and they explained the whole situation to me on what happened. And to me, like it disgusted me because it's, it's like, all right, with a lot of these girls, they want to make extra money. So they did these customs things. I went to one of them and I found it kind of weird, but that was to me. It was not something I can imagine pro wrestling turning into. I remember seeing like fetish shit and you'll see it in a magazine when you're a fucking 17 year old kid looking at your first hustler magazine or some shit. You see these ads for these videos with this thick ass Amazonian chick putting a fucking dude in the head and squeezing the life out of him. And mm-hmm. apparently guys get off on that. So when I went to my first event, I'm sitting there and I'm looking at this stuff and I'm, and then Shane was explaining to me what, what it is. And I'm still kind of like, well, at the end of the day, someone's getting off on this shit and they're paying top dollar to watch you guys do it. Like wearing the same, you know, sequence bikini and all they want to see you do is like chops or pile drivers for fucking 10 minutes. You know, mm-hmm. it's their, that's their fetish, whatever. Um, but of course, I guess later on down the line, when WSU, I think it's no longer around. Like DJ bought that, and yeah. and yeah, DJ's always been a fucking creep. You know what I mean with with chicks and shit. But selling the footage off and and rebranding it as that, and then you're selling everything without saying anything to these girls. Mm-hmm. It, it's fucked up. Excuse me. Yeah. And for him to not make a statement about it, to come across it to defend his name. Same thing with Maven or put a statement out. I mean, Quack came out, did his shit, closed Chikara, you know, at least he came out and confronted the, you know, the rumors or whatever. And not all that probably did come out. You know, I still don't know, like, what was said about Quack and Bush and, and, you know, with the Chikara guys. Mm -hmm. Um, But with DJ, it's like, make shit right. You know what I mean? Like, whatever it is you got to do, make it fucking right. Because apparently... You did something. You don't want to come forward. You don't want to fucking talk about it. You don't want to put it, you know, at least defend what you did or clear up whatever whatever was said about the ordeal. You know, if you did sell it under softcore porn, I don't know because I'm not going to search for this shit. You know, if someone mm. please, you know, find it and then screenshot it and then let everyone know, yeah, it's now labeled this. Where can you see it? Is it on Pornhub or whatever fucking porn websites there are and how it's being used now. I think it's fucked up. You know, it's like yeah. you took a lot of my footage and sold it to some fucking gay porn fucking website. Oh, I'm, I'm going to fucking, I'm shooting that motherfucker in the mouth. Yeah. And I'm going to go after the next motherfucker. And I'm doing the same thing to him. But I mean, out of all these things that started happening, I've heard stories over the years. I mean, it, it, in a fucked up way, it's like part of the wrestling culture with bullying or hazing. Mm-hmm. A lot of it does get taken way too far and is taken out of context. Um, when I read about, uh, what is it? Uh, not Jay Christ, uh, fucking Dave. Mm-hmm. And I'm reading from the student standpoint, some of the things he was describing, I'm like, all right, that's part of the business. you know. Mm-hmm. But when he explained the other things, that's when I'm like, all right, now you're kind of taking it. Now it's being taken too far, you know? Yeah. Um, and then that's when the bullying and all that stuff gets put in and some people it's like it's not you can't be sensitive being in this business at all and a lot of times like what happened to me when i was fucking agreeing i remember being stripped butt fucking naked in the middle of the ring 
And then I came to train the next fucking day. And they're like, okay, this kid's for, for real. And then he did it. Look at Hulk Hogan, what happened with, with uh, Saito when he broke his fucking arm. And what did he do? Come back. So mm-hmm. with a lot of these guys, you want to prep them for the ugly side of things. But you still got to keep somewhat some respect between you and the student. Yeah. You know, still have to keep that respect. It's like being a basic training. You're going to get fucking destroyed. You know, but at the end of the day, there's a reason behind everything. And then you will realize it in the end why things are done this way. Mm-hmm. You know, still it's, it's still kept, you know, professional. But, you know, with the light being shit on a lot of things and like me and G's talk last night, you don't hear shit about fucking David Starr. You don't hear shit about Joey Ryan. You don't hear a fucking goddamn thing from fucking Dave Chris. Like it's almost like once these allegations came out, these stories came out. It's over. They fucking disappeared. Yeah. Yeah, they're gone. They I don't think none, any of them even put out a statement, really. No, just not, not really. And it's it's crazy because there are some legitimate, very legitimate things out there that are going on and, you know, shouldn't have happened and this and that. But I think it, it also went broad spectrum. And next thing you know, it was like everyone had a bad relationship in the, in the business. Now they're, they're outed and they're trying to cancel them, too. Yeah. You know. And that's that's a little bit different. I think there should be a separation for sure. Yeah, like me and uh, Missy Sampson. She's a, she's my sister, mm-hmm. and like real close to me and my family. And we had a discussion about it. And it's like a lot of these allegations, unless you know the person, you know a lot of them weren't factual. Like they've been somewhat enhanced a little bit to to get this person's point across. They might not like this person, probably had a bad date, whatever the case may be, and now they want to come out and then blast the person for doing something. But when you look at back then, it's like, all right, this dude sent you a dick pic, okay? Did you tell him to stop afterwards? Or did you continue on having a conversation for the next six fucking months before they Mm -hmm. called it off? And now, years later, well, he sent me an unsolicited dick pic, but look at the conversation you fucking had with him for like the next six months afterwards. Right. Apparently it was an issue at the time. So, I mean, I'm glad there's not much of that coming out now. Like I, a lot of guys getting thrown under the bus or even some, you know, female workers being thrown under the bus. I, I'm glad like a lot of the perpetrators have been called out and they took it upon themselves to just disappear or whatever the case may be. There's yeah. many more out there, you know, that people are just afraid to come forward. And I get it. I mean, it's an embarrassing thing. You know, to come forward and to, you know, pretty much describe probably one of the most traumatic experiences you had in your whole fucking life, whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. you know, and their time will come. I mean, they'll they'll have justice, you know, and there's still, like I said, you know, a lot of fuckers out there that haven't been called forward yet. that have done some heinous shit and yeah. their time will come. What was your thoughts on what went down with Rory? Because I know, you, you know, like, you know, Rory well. I I know a lot of it was bullshit once I saw it. And I right away, I called Drew Gulak. And mm-hmm. I asked him, what's going on with you? Like, Because, you know, the office is going to automatically defend, try to damage control. Mm-hmm. And he said, it's fine. Nothing's going on. So that gave me, uh, you know, it made me feel a little better to go, all right, so it's not as serious as it's being pushed out to be. So then... I tried calling Rory, you know, no answer. And his brother told me, hey, he's out with my father now. I was like, look, tell him to give me a call when he gets a chance. 
Yeah. And in the beginning, I wouldn't talk to nobody because, I mean, this shit came out like it was fucking like a cannonball. You know what I mean? Yeah. Came right out, everything in its path. Uh, path. So a lot of it's still new. I'm reading a lot of these messages. Uh, you know, uh, a couple of people reached out to me, asked me, hey, do you believe this shit? I was like, no. I was like, let me talk to him first. So finally, after like a week, he finally called me and, explained, you know, and we talked. And I'm like, hey, and, you know, the job I'm at, I know everything that goes along with shit, you know, things of that nature, child pornography and, you know, pedophilia and whatnot. So I asked mm-hmm. him, I said, all right, look, anyone come to talk to you? He's like, like, what do you mean? Like, anyone come to your house? Did you get a warrant? Did they take your electronics or take this? He's like, no, you're fine. I was like, oh, it is a bullshit allegation. And not once did, you know, uh, the accuser put out any photos that he may have. You know what I mean? Like, things mm-hmm. like that. So, it was all, like like claims from this one female. So he gave me somewhat the backstory from, from his point of view. And I'll never talk about what, hopefully one day he can come out and talk about, but I mean, he's happy now. It's all that matters. I wanted to make sure that this kid doesn't fucking take his own life because of some, some accusation that went out. That's still like, you can't, there's no proven facts. You know what I mean? It's just an allegation that came out. I still talk to him here and there. I mean, he's doing his thing. I mean, the wrestling business pretty much he's done with it. Of what right. happened. Uh, so much shit that was in between that not many people, you know, that know about it. Mm-hmm. He may he may one day want to come out with it, but it's a lot of fucking things that were working towards, you know, defamation of his character. And I find it pretty fucked up. And one day, if I ever cross paths with this individual, I'm going to fucking paralyze him. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. I'm going to take the ability to fucking walk and eat solid foods. And I swear to God. So I want this person, but there was a lot of shit that went behind it. I know for a fact, knowing him for the fucking year, like there's no way, you know, that he would even do anything like that. This guy Mm -hmm. has been around my fucking daughter since she was born. You know, I never had an inkling that he was, you know, harmful for her or any child, you know, so you know, I'm, I'm giving him his space. He does, you know, he's doing his thing and that's all matters. Yeah. Hopefully, you know, the truth finally comes out with everything. You know, it's still vague on a lot of things. And I don't want to go into detail with them because, I mean, it's hard to talk about. Like, you're being accused of probably one of the most heinous crimes ever. Yeah. And the Internet took it by storm, especially social media, and they fucking destroyed them. Just like not even a couple of hours. Fucking destroyed them. Mm-hmm. And then after him, who was it? That fucking uh, Spanish dude in Chicago. Him. With the, what was it? She was 16, 15, some shit. And, you know, uh, and then you got that show with Velveteen Dream. Apparently he got fucking, he's forgiven. You know what I mean? They hired that motherfucker and they still let him perform. Yeah. Um, with the, you know, the other stuff, because the cancel culture is, it's crazy. It's, you know, so there's legitimate stuff. And then there's stuff, like you said, that just falls into bullying, but it's just, you know, trying to bring somebody up tough or, or train them. How hard is it to to train toughness into you know a wrestler or a trainee these days now that this is this has arrived that this is what it is now? It's not hard. Like it's not hard. Like I've never went into doing anything where I'm hazing you because I don't want that shit done to me. Like I'll I'll prank you to the point where it's like ha ha ha. It's funny, but I'm not gonna do anything 
sexual, racial. I'm not going to do anything with any type of prejudice, any type of malice. Like it's all just, you know, hey, we're laughing at your expense, but without any of those things. And it's very possible, you know, doing things repetitions, punishment enough, you know, uh, going in a little hard, cursing at him, fucking, you know, basically laying down law. It's not hard. It's just a lot of people probably take it a little too far, you know, especially depending on the student and they open the door for them. And some people have a, a weird, sick way of having the person toughen up. Like they keep doing these things until that person uh, grows the balls to fucking confront them about, it, you know, mm-hmm. and some people, it's still not enough. They're going to, you know, prolong the punishment, but it's really not hard. it's like, the main thing about training in general, and I train my tactical guys the same thing. Training has to be comprehensive, has to be progressive, and systematic. Those are the three things training has to be, period. Has to be comprehensive so where everyone understands the fuck's what lessons, what's the lesson of the day. Everyone has to understand it down to the dumbest motherfucker to the dude with an Ivy League fucking IQ. It has to be progressive. You got to see them progress from the very beginning, moving on to like a week from now. They have to show some type of progression. If they don't, you fail as an instructor. And then mm-hmm. it has to be systematic. You have to have it the set the same way from class one all the way to class 10, you know, with different students. It's got to be brought the same way so you can see the progression and then you, you won't deviate from that system because once you deviate from the system everything can collapse at that point and i've seen it done over the years with other training schools especially with combat so there's a mm-hmm. lot of times that things aren't done systematically but those are the three things you need other than that there's nothing else being tough is just them going showing up to a wrestling gym putting their bodies through it is as tough as it can be at that point right then especially for me when i came up that was tough within itself you know, right. the other things want to make sure you're not going to come across as being a bitch because at the end of the day, you represent your instructors, you represent your clan, your tribe. So that's where a lot of this, the, the, the teachings of, you know, the hazing and all and, you know, things like that or however you want to fucking call it to toughen them. And that's their method of doing things. They represent that clan, that tribe, you know, right. it's like, you know, being a baseball team. First guy on the team compared to guys have been on the team for five plus years. You're going to be treated differently. You're going to be doing things differently. You know what I mean? It's like being a freshman, joining a JV team or no, the varsity team. They're going to do things to you, you know, to make you earn your keep. But at the end of the day, a lot of people just take it way too fucking far. And then the message isn't being put to the individual and a lot of them walk away. And to me, who the fuck am I to rob somebody of their dream? Right. You know, who the fuck am I to do that? So... If you start having more people quit because of how you're treating them, then you failed as an instructor. You know, being the, the reward of being an instructor is watching these people that you taught succeed. Then you move on to the next group and do the same thing. Right. But I mean, you know, there was always people who weren't tough enough or weren't really up to wrestling's not for everybody. So you had a lot of people that just wouldn't cut it and they would quit out, you know, a training and just would stop showing up. But now in this this current society, there's such a victim mentality that it's no longer like your own responsibility. It's somebody else's fault. You know, so that's that's what I think makes it a lot harder. Yeah, it's like every day now, you know, I I tend not try to look at social media like I look at it for news. I look at it for shopping because I do. I, I, I endorse 
And I support a lot of veteran-owned businesses, everything from Black Rifle Coffee to Rogue American Apparel to Savage Tacticians. You know, I that's where I put a lot of my money into, and I see a lot of them through social media. But at the same time doing that, I see all the bullshit that's going on now. It's a war of opinion these days now. It's the the victim mentality, like you stated before, where you felt as though you're you're being done wrong, and now you want to force your opinion on somebody else. No matter if they're right or wrong, your opinion is joined that group and another three, another three, then now they have a full army and now they feel as though I can force my beliefs onto you because you're lesser than we are. That's that's what I see now. It's disgusting. It's all bullshit. You know, everyone has a fucking opinion. I mean, you like it or not, it's their belief. It is what it is. As long as you're good to me. As long as you're good to everyone else, you know, do no evil shit. Hey, we're cool. I don't, hey, I might not like the same baseball team, believe in the same fucking God, or, you know, have the same culture as you. But, you know, with, with everything that's going on today, it's all because, honestly, technology, everyone has fucking capabilities of a, of a camera now. So now, mm-hmm. excuse me, you're seeing a lot of shit being brought into to light that have been around forever, you know? Like a lot of these police shootings and everything that's going on now, that's been going around, going on for so fucking long. Now it's been brought to light. I do believe in police reform. I don't believe in defunding the fucking police. These motherfuckers need to train a lot, you know, compared to, I mean, in DOC, we're in there with fucking convicted fucking murderers, rapists, child molesters, drug dealers. You name it, we have them. And we have to resolve everything without using a gun. Without using a fucking taser, so all you have is a set of fucking keys, handcuffs, a radio, and right now OC spray only because a federal corrections officer was stabbed to death a couple of years ago. So then, when the feds push for OC for their individual officers, at one point we didn't have that. Now everyone has it. So, mm-hmm. but you still have to resolve with everything just by talking. So, with police now, I'm not going to necessarily justify their actions, what they've done, but I. I wasn't in that position that they were. So I don't know how they felt at that time. Did they feel as though their life was threatened and they had to take action? I don't know. Because I'm, I'm not in that position. It's like for us, when we review fight videos or inmate assault, staff assaults or whatever, or unplanned uses of force, I always have to look at, I'm not going to be a fucking backseat driver. I'm not going to Monday night quarterback what happened. I may tell them, say, hey, looking at this video, it's a nice teaching aid. You might, if you ever come across this, this is probably the best approach to do it. But at the same token, what did that officer at that moment feel? You know? And, you know, with everything in the protesting, all the bullshit, and now, you know, I, I don't, I try not to get into it. I have my, my beliefs, I have my principles. I will never deviate from them, you know. I just look at protecting my family, protecting my loved ones. I still got to wake up in the fucking morning, go to work. I still got to pay my fucking bills. I ain't got the luxuries of going out there and fucking wearing a bullshit mask and protesting and, you know, looting and, you know, fucking doing all the stupid shit. Because at the end of the day, it's counterproductive. Because who, who's going to pay for this shit now? Now you want fucking Uncle Sam to pay for all this shit. And these are the same people that you want to go against. You want to overthrow. But then you want them to pay for all these things. You put so many people out of work now, you know, destroy the whole yeah. fucking community for what? Like, when is it enough? That's where I, that's where 
I don't see the end to any of this now because now it's become part of the culture where people are too fucking scared to tell these assholes, cut it the fuck out. Because out here, where my girlfriend lives off of Passio, when they tried to do that shit with Marconi Park, with Christopher Columbus, tried to tear that statue down, every fucking Italian dude that lived out there came out with a fucking AR, a fucking machete, a fucking bat, and whatever. And they're defending their fucking neighborhood. Because at the mm-hmm. end of the day, it comes down to you protecting your own. Yeah. You know, I'm all for a lot of the things like police reform and, and, and justice and whatnot, but at the end of the day, when it comes down to the looting and, you know, kill all cops and, and the, the police hate mentality, you, know, you still didn't get the full story on what happened at that moment. And then all of a sudden, months later, you get a different camera angle or you get audio or you get this. It's like just, you know, I look at justice reform needs to happen, you know, but. With all this other shit going on, people just need to fucking pump the brakes and say, look, man, fall the fuck back. Focus on building up your community. Focus on having these kids not doing the same fucking dumb shit these cocksuckers are doing as well. You know, put mm-hmm. money into the cities and focus on the youth and education or keep shit like this from happening. Yeah. But oh, only time can tell. Yeah. Um, you served quite a bit you know went overseas a lot um you ran through a lot of that on sozio show and uh a lot of those stories are crazy i mean you know uh, the overpasses blowing up behind you and all that stuff if you can go into a little bit of that um you know yeah <laughs> i mean you still got your funny stories and then you got your you know the stories that that you'll never like ever do away with you know, it's always going to be a part of your life. It's like etched into your DNA. You know, if I smell certain things, it brings you right back to that. I didn't understand it when I did my first VA review and they asked, like, have I ever had flashbacks? And I always thought to myself what a flashback was, was like how Vietnam vets, when they hear like a bang, they jump under a table, they dive to the floor, whatever. I never had that. Um, so I didn't understand. So I would say no. Uh, a lot of things I looked at as protecting my you know, me being able to bear arms, uh, me having a, a job with law enforcement where I would have to bear arms. I didn't want to lose any of that. Um, I mean, I don't feel as though I'm, I'm dangerous in society at all, but like, I didn't understand a lot of these questions. So I would deny, deny, deny. Then of course, over the years, I had guys like vets that I work with, like a sergeant friend of mine who I owe so much to, who I always refer to as my life coach. One day had to say to me, like, after reviewing me, and he knew I was a veteran. We were overseas around the same time, but two different uh, bases. He was at Anaconda, and I was at Summerall. And about, you know, maybe about 100 miles away from each other. But, you know, we were around the same climates. I know throughout the war war in Iraq, it's like out of every deployment period, every, uh, from the, the initial invasion in 03, and you work your way, things were different. It, was, it changed. It changed through every... Every rotation, the rules of engagement changed. The enemy tactics have changed. When I was there around 2004, 2005, it was like the Wild West. I was guaranteed gun uh, trigger time every time. So I, excuse me, always volunteered to be a gunner when I was still with the engineers. So I knew I emptied a fucking can of 50 cal every mission. Because when we had to take the roads, we owned the roads. Like car bombings were very uh, prevalent in the area. IEDs, you know. um, So every time we drove, it was like, you know, we fired warning shots. To get them to fuck off through, and these people, boom, they 
turn as hard as they can. They know they're about to get lit up because people have died doing that. Mm-hmm. You turn the wheel into us, facing us as we're driving off to the side of the road and we catch you, cut your wheel towards us. That gives us the green light to light you the fuck up because we don't, because a lot of the, the D-bids, the vehicle-borne IEDs, they'll wait, they'll play like they're, you know, that they're following, they're abiding by the rules, and they'll wait till the third, maybe the first vehicle passes, the second one, they'll turn and run into that third vehicle to set it off. And now, Shit. you know, you just lost troops, you know what I mean? So we, things have changed, you know, and it goes off of enemy tactics. One point, they're using garage door openers to set off IEDs, like lasers and four lasers that go from one area to another. You broke that, it went off. They set cables under the overpasses, so it would take the gunner's heads off. Um, wow. You know, things have changed. It was scary. Like, you just didn't know. And like I like I told Sozio, like, I wasn't a religious person, but I have, I still have my psalm handkerchief. And I only recite these, like, it's like two lines that I would recite all the time. So I can't remember the whole fucking prayers. It's like this big. But it got to a point after, you know, the, every, every mission was something new. Um, sometimes you come back and it was just routine. Other times you got into some shit, took fire, um, you know, an IED found one or one found you or whatever, you know, you had those instances, but I remember it got to a point towards the end. I just didn't give a fuck anymore. Like I, I didn't care what was going to happen to me. If it was going to happen, if it was my number, it was my number. I was going to, I'm going to get punched out. So, you know, towards the end, it was, um, it was like August. It was actually like August 9th and the anniversary just passed. But uh, we're sitting on a, a JSS and I've only told the story a couple of times. Um, we sat on a JSS, me and the, uh, I was with the uh, a scout platoon and we sit on a JSS. We do our night ops and we're, you know, we monitor the area and, you know, we take off our vest and shit, and you're sitting there all night, and you're looking through NVGs, you're looking for LRAS, which is like a big box out in the Humvee, had white hot, black hot, it had thermals, uh, zoom capabilities, everything. So you're looking, you're surveying the area, and this overlook uh, Tampa, Tampa, which, where uh, FOB Summerall was, uh, Route Tampa is basically a highway to hell, so it goes all the way from, like, fucking Baghdad all the way through. So this part of Tampa where we are in Beijing cuts through the street. Uh, so it goes from a highway to cutting to like somewhat like a two-way street in the middle of a fucking city. That's and they called it RPG Alley at one point. So remind the area, and it was like it was late. I know it was nighttime. And we had this rolling supply uh convoy. We called it a clip. So it was running through, and we heard mortar fire. And it was very odd because they never fire mortars at a moving target. So we called it in. Um, you know, the talk told us, hey, uh, QRF, which was Alpha Company, first of the 111th at the time, they were QRF that night. And QRF, everyone goes through a QRF rotation as a quick reaction force. So you're on rotation anywhere from 24 hours to 72 hours. And you're on call around the clock, so you normally – pull within a centralized location when you go to eat guys go and pick up food and bring it back you can't leave in there so a lot of halo tournaments a lot of movies are being watched at this time because anything from troops in contact you will come out id was found you will be the escorting uh unit for uh eod like you're for everything so at the time alpha coming first from 111th 
they were QRF. So they said that, hey, we'll meet up with QRF at right at the base of uh, K2 bypass, which was a bridge that was blown down a little bit. And there was a, a bypass that went around it. And then we called it the, K, uh, the K2 bypass. So we'll link up with them and go to Beijing where the origin of fire was at the time they had technology where it can kind of give you somewhat of a reference on where the, the point of uh, fire is, you know, within the area. Right. So we uh, we noticed that a vehicle stopped in one section of Tampa and we watched person get out the vehicle and go to the side of the road for something. Right. So we, it was kind of odd. So. We're going down. We get we get kitted up. We start heading down. And we're on top of like somewhat of a fucking mountain. We go down. We stopped at this hole to observe it. I get out the vehicle to check the hole. And it was a hole where the guy was. Nothing was in it. Normally, when they place IDs, it's done in teams. You have a uh, spot will be surveyed. One team will come out. They dig the hole. The next team comes out, plant the, the munitions. Another team comes out. They wire the munitions. Then you have your detonator somewhere in the distance watching. And they're waiting. They set it off. Boom. And then they leave. So you'll never know. They could do it over a cell phone and do a command debt where they fucking connect, you know, the two wires with a nine volt battery to set it off. So we stopped there. Now QRF is coming by. They passed the K2 bypass. Now they're ahead of us. So we were at this, this location for maybe roughly about 10 minutes, right? Making sure there's nothing weird that we missed or whatnot. And mind you, it's at night. So now we're, we're driving through. So they hit the, where the area the point of origin was was a place called we call it Zarkawi Road or Smugglers Road because it ran parallel with the Tigris River and across the Tigris, of course, you had, you know, another area. So a lot of your insurgents would smuggle weapons or fighters from these from these areas. So, you know, they'll come over, do what they got to do, get on a boat, go right across the Tigris. Now they're out of touch from us. So and then we call it Zarkawi Road because at one point Zarkawi was in this area. So I was at least. Uh, involved with a special forces raid for Zarqawi because we had, you know, intel that he was within this area. Mm. And they're cutting, they're ahead of us. We're probably maybe a few minutes behind them. So we're coming in now from the north of Smugglers Road. They went into the south. And I remember being, I was at dismount, I was in the back. Uh, my platoon uh, leader, uh, Batch, was sitting up front. I forgot who my driver, maybe Dawkins was my driver. We had a gunner. And the other dismount was my boy Reeks, who was a squad automatic rifle. And I remember seeing a white flash. Boom. Real, real. Like you don't hear shit. All you hear is this radio. Noise on the outside is kind of muffled out a little bit. So I remember seeing a big white flash. I'm like, what the fuck? And then we start seeing tracer fire going straight across. So American platoon leaders calling the say, hey, we're coming in from the north. Hold fire, hold fire coming from the north. So we start, we cut onto Smuggler's Road, start driving down. I remember seeing a vehicle, like a frame of vehicle on fire. I remember seeing the, the ominous orange-red glow, like something's on fire. So I'm thinking, man, these guys lit up a fucking bongo truck or car, whatever. So we get out, we dismount, we start moving towards the main element, and... Saw a Humvee. There was a, well, you had the Tigris River to where we're coming in from the north. So the Tigris River was to our left. And it was like a somewhat of a, not an orchard, like farmland. So it was kind of rip, like ripply uh, ground. But there was a house and the, the uh, Tigris River was to our left. And there was a six foot wall to our right that was adjacent to the road, went straight down. And the first thing I saw was a Humvee 
45 degree angle, ran into the wall with a tree branch going right through it. We go, I'm like, holy shit. We go down some more. Another one was inside a sinkhole, nose in. Further we go in now, this Diomnius red and orange glow was what's left of a Hummer. Burning. Frame, it was against the wall, completely on fire, just engulfed. And I remember running up, pulling security, dropping the one knee, facing the Tigers. Nothing. I mean, apparently they, were, they took fire from that uh, that area. So we all got into somewhat of a, you know, re- react contact type of formation. We got on, you know, I'm in the one knee and I'm just surveying the area. Then I heard the muffling noise of an individual like they're calling out. I, I can't remember exactly. I just know that this person thought he just came home, came back from home being on leave and he thought he was still home. So we race over with the medic and we had to boost him over the wall because this individual was actually over the wall. Mm. He got blown from the vehicle. He was probably about maybe roughly 75 meters from the vehicle. He got blown out of it and went over the wall. So we're boosting the medic over the six foot wall and all around us were rounds being cooked off. And I mean, cooked off is when rounds hit a certain temperature, like heat wise, they pop. They actually fire on their own. It doesn't sound the same as it would be fired out of a gun. It's more of like a firecracker popping sound. So the ammunition that was in that hum- Hummer is actually cooking off around us. So we're boosting. Luckily, none of us got hit with a straight round. So we're boosting him over. He gets over. He's running the to them. We still pull security. Um, now, a LERS unit came. And they went over to the Tiger side and we had the third a unit from the third infantry division with uh, Bradley uh, fighting vehicles, tanks coming in. So they covered both uh, sides of, you know, a smuggler's road. Um, now it, we're into casualty collection now. So. The first body we saw was up in a tree on fire. Wow. And. I'm walking with Reese. I remember walking on the ground and it was like, like squishy. I remember like the ground was soft. It felt weird. Um, you know, a couple of us had like surefire lights on our weapons. So we shine them down and you're seeing like pieces of whatever, like pieces of rubber, most likely flesh, everything like that. I remember walking with Reeks and we fa- he found an arm. It was, uh, it was, it was, uh, someone's, uh, someone's arm. It was definitely, uh, it was an American all cut down to like midway of the form. It still had a DCU top attached with a sleeve of the shirt. So he picks it up. And I remember like he was very quiet. Normally he's really like loud, obnoxious. He was very quiet. And I remember he pick it up and I looked at him, I was like, Reeks, you want me to get that? And he's like, no, I got it. So we walk it back to the casualty collection point where we got all the remains that we can recover. And I remember seeing like what was left of people. You know, mid torso up. You know, it's you know one of the guys, um, like a leg, like just you know, just bodies. What's left of two of my other friends were carrying a body bag back. Looked like a half a person was inside that body bag. They brought it back, dropped in collection point. Now, Nesmith, Dominesi, and this other guy, we go over the wall to grab the other body, and this is the body that was in the tree. And uh, we get across, you know, get over the wall. We found the hole through the wall. We get over to the other side. The body 
fell from the tree and now it's around top of, you know, a bed of dead leaves. Everything around us is on fire. Um, I still remember how hot it was. I still remember the smell. Because when I smell burning paper, it just, you know, that's the closest smell to it. So this body still had, you know, you, you could tell it was an American's. It still had the DCU pants on. Everything else was charred, like just burnt. A hand was missing on the body from the forearm down. And then the opposite leg, same thing from the shin down. Um, everything was on fire around us. And now we have to figure out how to get this body out. So we asked for a body bag. They ran out. They gave us, like, ran out of a thicker greener one or greener black. So they gave us this white one. It looked like a fucking shower curtain, like a plastic shower mm. curtain. I think it was going to hold in that zipper. So that's what we left resort to. Then they passed over a, you know, five-gallon drum of water. So we tried to put the fire out, you know, around the body. So we stood over, we grabbed the five-gallon drum. Now we're thinking, all right, let's cool the body down. So we put it in the body bag and carry it out so it doesn't melt through. So we poured the water on top and then, like, just, you know, when you pour water on something real hot, you get that smoke that comes out, that white smoke. And it hit us right in the face. Like, we're all bent down and it just fucking engulfed us. And we all inhaled it. So now, you know, we're thinking it's warm and cool, cool enough. Nesmith said something like, hey, uh, you think it'd hold? I remember it kicked it right in the shoulder kind of hard by I can't remember since I said it but kicked him five jar in the shoulder and I was like yeah I think it hold because it was the whole body was stiff. So we put the bag down, unzipped it, opened it, and we managed to get the body right into the bag, we zipped it up. Now we have to walk out through this brush fire and then back to the, the collection point. So carrying the body, I remember having both my hands underneath the armpit. The other two pulled security, and Nesmith had the legs. Nesmith dominance. I remember picking it up, and I had uh, these Blackhawk. Uh, what were the gloves back then? Oh, they had leather palms, you know, tackle gloves. And I had Oakley, uh, you know, desert boots on at the time too. And I remember picking up the body from under the armpits. Okay, and we had to put it down about three times. It was so hot, like I could feel it, like right through my gloves, and I had to put it down. You know, took a breather, pick it back up, go back out again. I wouldn't let anyone relieve me. I felt as though it was my duty to get it out. Like, if I'm starting this, I'm this. So we finally get it out. We put it down. Now, the fourth guy that was with us, it was me, Nesmith, Dominus. We're all from the same unit. The fourth guy was with that unit. So he knew who this individual was. This individual was. Um, I mean, he kept his composure. You know, we, we were there to do something and, you know, we're getting it done. Uh, my vehicle, which my platoon leader, we went back to the, uh, to the fog to kind of to refit and reorganize and go back out. So we get back and, you know, uh, platoon leader asked, like, hey, any guys don't want to go back out? You know, there's no shame in it. Uh, just you know, let me know. Is everyone good? So we went down the line. I'm good. Reese was like, no, he's good. I was like, all right, cool. So then we link up with another unit. I get in their vehicle, and then we head back. 
minute. These fucking guys, oh my god, the fucking argument between these two fucking dickheads and just back and forth, back and forth, whatever. I'm sitting in the back of this vehicle trying to get out to go back to see what I can do. Um, so, you know, mission was done. We got everything back. Um, you know, once everything was collected, all the sensitive items that could be recovered, you know, I wasn't there when they finally moved all the vehicles and went back to the farm. I remember that night, it was like the first time I had a cigarette. It was a marble red. And, uh, you know, the, the next day, everything was quiet. The whole file was really quiet. I think your mic's, um, something's going on with your mic. You're coming off a little off. I don't know if it unplugged or. I can hear you a little bit, but it sounds like it's like one side or something. I don't even have a mic. I just have my phone. So, um, but we have back. Day later, we go into the chapel area, uh, our whole platoon. So we had a, a chaplain there, and you know, we all sat around each other. And this is normally one platoon will be on days. So about like a day later, two days later, I think it was like a day later, we all, our whole unit were sitting in the chapel, chaplains in there. And we're talking about, you know, how we feel. You know, this is like the first for us at the time, like major loss of U.S. casualties within our JSS. These guys are from Philadelphia. One was a Philly cop, uh, Pellegrini, uh, the Temple. Like, they're all from the uh, Philly and Northeast Philly area. And, you know, I said my piece. The main thing is, like, making sure we recovered, excuse me, like, all the remains before the... You know, the rabid dogs go out and these fucking things, man, they're everywhere. Like, I don't know what breed they are. Like, they're just wild and they're scavengers and they will finish everything. Mm. So my main concern is making sure we got everything. And my buddy Nesmith cracks, like, he says something which he alleviated a lot of the, you know, <laughs> the sense of depression in the room and he raises his hand the chaplain looks at him and He's like, he's like, yeah, man, I got a fucking boner right now. And everyone starts cracking the fuck up. <laughs> and that's when I learned to where it's like, what you see is unnatural, but what you do is natural. So whatever it may be, I remember cracking a joke before we grabbed the body, like Nesmith cracked one and it alleviated a lot of stress at the time. And, you know, we we're able to continue on doing what we have to do. Uh, we didn't go back on mission again, back to mission rotation for like another couple of days. So everyone got, you know, enough rest. They got the any help they need to seek. They, you know, they had, you know, go see the chaplain or uh, whatnot. So we go back on. And after that, it's when I just didn't really give a fuck anymore. Like, I was just like, look, man, this is going to happen. It's going to fucking happen. We went back out to doing our raids. You know, when we did our collective raids, it was like, you know, one platoon would do a week of day, one platoon would do a week of night, and we and then we'd flip-flop. And then when we did raids, we'll, you know, all prep our shit throughout the day, sleep all day, wake up probably a couple hours prior to, you know, get our op order, do last-minute rehearsals, and we go out and start snatching fucking guys. Mm. So that was when we got, you know, all the sexy shit, you know, what I really wanted to do then. So when I got home, you know, uh, we had one more incident right after that, right before coming home. We were on our last, one of our last OP missions. I remember we're driving up 
and uh, the either the the TC at the time saw two heads pop up and Berman pop back down. And this is like around our location. No one's ever up there, mind you. So we we hightail it after these two individuals. They jump up, they start running. I remember I'm in the first vehicle, so. I jump out while it's still moving and I'm sprinting after this guy, like full kit and everything. So me and another guy, we end up tackling one guy. The other guys, they keep chasing the, uh, you know, the, the first guy. And I get this guy to the ground, I have my weapon in his face. I'm telling him, don't fucking move. Just, you know, just chill. And of course, he doesn't speak fucking English. But with a gun in your face, you think, you know, you understand the message. So he's still, he's, he's resisting, he's resisting. I fired a shot two inches from his fucking face, and that made him freeze. Turned him over, zip-tied him, everything, got him up, moved him to another location. They caught the first guy. They bring him back. He had a vest on, like, what, the uh, Iraqi police, like, we just instituted the Iraqi police. He had a vest on. It was a police vest, but he wasn't a cop. And he had a Glock. And all the Iraqi police officers were given Glocks from us. So he had a Glock. So now we're like, all right, where'd he get this from? Now, where they were first spotted, there was a Russian PKM machine gun facing ROP site mm. and cans of ammunition. Doubt any of this shit would work, but God knows. And they were waiting for us. Like, we would get there, we would get out, dismount, survey the area, take our shit off, chill, and they you know, they were waiting for us to do it, and they were going to light us the fuck up. This is, like, just some point before going home. So, you know, our other platoon that was rusting back, they hightailed it to our location after, you know, they heard the uh, transmission. Now we're going to go raid this fuckhead's fucking house. And apparently his brother was the Iraqi cop that he took his equipment from. So we raid the house, find nothing. You know, our interpreter starts doing what they need to do, you know, find out what the fuck's going on. Who does he work for? Who else is in the house? You know, is he alone? Whatever. Now it's right before going home. Remember coming home, being at Fort Dix for about a week or so, going through uh, the out-processing medical and everything, getting drunk as fuck, you know, suppressing all this shit. And then... Coming back into society, I remember I had such a hard I struggle. I still have a somewhat of a struggle today. Like, I in a, in a fucked way. I fucking hate people, but you know, you gotta learn to live with them. But uh, struggle was hard then, so fucking hard. Tried to uh, remedy myself with weed, didn't work. Uh, alcohol didn't really work. You know, wrestling and the gym was the main, the thing that helped me out. Uh. And then I get called by CID one day out of nowhere. It's like, you know, they're like the NCIS and shit over that last incident. Apparently these fuckheads claim they, you know, that we did more than what we did to them. And this was right after that cage of death. So I had my back was burnt. My you know side of my temple was ripped apart where it had to be sewn closed just to stop bleeding. So I had. My one eye was completely bandaged shut. My forehead, I had shit on my back. I had the, the fucking the slice on my nose from Nikki's fucking boot straight with the barbed wire and all sorts of shit all over my body. And I had to go to this police station in Fishtown where the one 
you know, KIA, like his photo, big photos on the wall. This was his police station. Mm-hmm. So I remember seeing that. Like, fuck. So I sit in a room and they're asking me questions. I'm asking, all right, what is this? And they go right into it. I'm like, and I mean, these guys investigate war crimes and shit. So I'm like, yeah. I'm listening to them. I'm like, wait, what? And then, and then I go right into what took place that night. And they're like, they, I mean, these two fuckheads claim that we came into their village shooting up everything. And we snatched these guys up out of, you know, God knows how many. And we beat the shit out of them. That's what they claim. Like, we went in in an innocent village snatching these guys up when it was the other way around. So I explained to them the situation and what happened. Like, it was still, like, so, like, I, like, there's not one thing I actually forgot. Like, I still have, like, photographic memory on a whole bunch of shit in the last two deployments. You know, and a lot of other things I... Like, even to this day, I still don't remember. Like, short-term memory loss and shit. But I tell them what happened. And they're like, oh, okay, that seems more likely. And then I had to write a whole fucking statement. And I had to do it, uh, you know, on... Had to be recorded. And then I had to take pictures of me. Now, mind you, just right after KJF, I was <laughs> fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> remember they asked me, it's like, what happened? I'm like, car accident. And they were like, oh, wow. And I was like, okay. And, uh, yeah, and... Like, the struggle of being home was, it was hard. And then I, I wanted to go back. I wanted to go back. So I was going to go active duty at the time. Um, then someone told me, hey, go check out Alpha Come. They just turned to a striker brigade. So I go there with my daughter's godfather, a Philly cop now. And uh, we go check him out right away. We got a letter of acceptance and everything. And this was the company that lost those four guys that I basically like witnessed. Mm. And uh, I, I reclass over to the infantry. I go to you know PLDC or WLC, it's basic sergeant school. Get promoted sergeant September of '07. Or no, December of '07 at the Christmas party. I go to striker opnet course. I mean, and then I work full time there as the assistant readiness MCO, like getting guys ready for deployment stuff and all the training and everything. So. Uh, my date, my ETS date was coming up. So I did my six and I've trained with these guys for so long and they're about to deploy and I had to make the determination. Do I want to stay? Cause I could have left. I could have opted out, but I end up re enlisting for three more years so I can deploy with these guys. Cause I've done all the training with them. I'm not going to leave them to somebody else and put their lives in, you know, someone else's hands. So I end up going back three more years, knock out this deployment um, it was a lot different. I'll tell you that. Uh, but you know, at least everyone came back, you know, uh, alive, you know, despite Tenny having a fracture leg from an IED and, you know, ring finally, you know, getting a purple heart now for, you know, trauma, but you know, everyone came back alive, you know, um, I talked to a couple of these guys here and there. It's like, like I said before, it's like life still goes forward. You get caught up in, you know, work, family, you know, everyday shit, and you forget to even call somebody and say, hey, what's going on, you know? Mm. And, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of the memories are like, like I said before, I got some funny ones, outrageous ones, and then you get the fuck, you know what I mean, the fucked up ones that, mm. you know, you know, lessons learned. That's how I look at it. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, I enjoyed my time. I loved it. I mean, I wish I could have stayed and done more. 
you know, I, if it wasn't for this cocksucker recruiter right after 9-11 and got me to the National Guard, like I said, I would have probably been Special Forces. I could have been dead. Could be a whole different person, whatever. I mean, I don't know. But, you know, in, in a weird way, it's like, you know, the only I, I wouldn't say I would have many regrets, but I wish I did my research as a kid and went to the right recruiting uh, station got the right contract that suited me but you know things happen the way they happen i was still able to wrestle because i would have just definitely put that in null and void at fucking wrestling but you know, yeah I, I still miss it as an inkling of me that misses the action the adrenaline rush like that's there's nothing like it you know like nothing yeah, man, I, it takes a different type of person to have that mentality like you do because, you know, I don't think a lot of people are listening to this going, yeah, I'd love to do that shit. Like, <laughs> you went through some serious, serious stuff, man, and still have that hunger for it is, is that's a different type of person. Yeah, it's like once I got into the DOC, it was like I, I had to find out, like, what is it that can give me the same fulfillment? Mm-hmm. Um. So then I tried out for CERT, which is the Correction Emergency Response Team, which is like a SWAT team in the jail. So we had every every facility has one. And, you know, I tried out for my phase four as a trainee and, you know, being, you know, a veteran, you know, it, it you know, worked on my behalf because I, you know, I've been around weapons and shit like that and, you know, done a lot of tactics, but. And once I got into that, it, it filled that part. So a lot of, you know, a lot of vets are part of CERT. Um, then the years went, I went to every course from, you know, basic operator, advanced weapons handling, building entry, coming to munition specialist, um, fucking TRS, which is tactical rifle specialist. I went through all the courses, I ended up becoming the team leader, still a team leader to this day. And now I'm one of the Eastern Regional uh, CERT instructors now for the state. Mm-hmm. And you know, I go out and I teach. And I love teaching. That's that's my one passion. As I love teaching, like seeing, you know, new operators coming in and being able to pass on, you know, experiences and lessons learned to the newer uh, generation of operators coming in. And I love going to another facility to do a, a shakedown with all the special teams across the state and running into guys that I've taught that came up to that come up to me. You know, hey. You know, it was good seeing you. How's everything? Shaking your hands, bro hugs the whole nine. And, you know, talking about how our careers have gone and, you know, how certs pushing forward and the climates of the jails and things like that. So I at least filled that void that I lost, you know, and uh, and that made me a better person. You know, I my perspective of things is a lot different than it was. I mean, thank God I didn't try to be a corrections officer after my first deployment. I was a fucking hothead. I wouldn't have made it. You know what I mean? I would be fucking got fired. But, uh, you know, like I said before, like things happen, you know, you just make the best of it and that's it. I have really no regrets, you know, not at all. I told my closure and pro wrestling, which hopefully is coming and then that's it. I can just sit back and just think about Still got till 2038 to fucking retire from the DOC, but, Mm. you know, make the best of it. So, I mean, you know, working in the prison system and everything, you know, hearing things about like, you know, prison reform and this and that from a guy on the inside. What do you think needs to change if. if... Oh, man. Uh, Look, 
don't get me wrong. Like I've I've had this conversation. I'm like my girlfriend works in the Jones was as a nurse, and you know, and then all my coworkers, and I'm the RHU lieutenant. I'm the lieutenant down the hole. Um, I I believe in treatment to the extent of like, yeah, a lot of people have substance abuse issues, and you know they. Everything we have, everything from AA batters for your sort of uh, inmates. Excuse me. We have TC, which is therapeutic community. They're put in a group. They got to do it for parole purposes. Um, but a lot of things, what I've seen in Pennsylvania, is a little too laxed in a way with inmates. Treatment is almost taking. <laughs> I would say more or less like the, the, the whole treatment-based thing is, is being more lax within the inmates. Like a lot of these fucking inmates think they fucking, they have so many more rights than they actually do. You know, they want to mm. question everything. It's like right now, it seems like the trend is a lot of these inmates coming in. It seems the average, they're like born in the 90s, you know, okay. that are coming in. They're young. Um, you're getting your, your young lifers, like guys like in Pennsylvania. Once you're given life, it's your natural born life. Like you're dying behind bars. It, right. You might, you should just take the death penalty if it was given to you. Like you're staying in. Uh, we've had a lot of our junior lifers. These are guys that were given life sentences in the 70s when they were 15, 14 years old, you know, mm-hmm. committing. And a lot of them didn't even actually commit the fucking crime. It was like they were there when it happened. They were given life just to close a case. So a lot of these guys have done. 30 plus years behind bars and we're granted parole, but they're on parole for life now, you know, and so far from my knowledge, the ones that I've sat through at the time, like during their hearings, haven't come back. They haven't recommitted. So good for them. But a lot of these younger ones now, it's like, you know, I, I think prison itself needs to be just a little harder. And I'm not meaning in any sense of violating human rights or civil rights. More or less like, look, you fucked up. You were deemed not acceptable in society. So therefore, you need to do your fucking time here. Um, You know, I wouldn't say make the best of it, but at least be somewhat productive before you go out. A lot of these guys, like the whole justice system itself, like you, you go to jail for something, now you're a felon. A lot of these businesses, a lot of companies won't give you a shot because you are a felon. So then you're fucked. You go back to doing what you know best is slinging dope or some shit because now you have a whole family. You got a couple of kids and shit, a baby mama, whatever. You have a sick father, sick mother, sick aunt, sick uncle, whoever your guardian was. Now you're coming out of jail. What are you, stuck at a McDonald's or some shit? Someone that may give you a chance. Like you're not going to spend the rest of your life, especially early from your early 20s, trying to retire at a McDonald's, some fast food joint or some other bullshit place. So mm-hmm. I think that needs to change, you know, yeah. where the other time, you know, that doesn't have to be a stigma to them. You know, let them get a fair shot like anybody else. You know, let them have their shot. That's all. You know, a lot of these guys going in, I've seen changes. You know, I have a rapport with a lot of these guys. You know, I'll bullshit with them or whatnot. But at the end of the day, you're still an inmate. I'm still an officer. There's still rules. Like, we have to perpetuate the policies that the state put in place. So, you know, we protect themselves, like them from each other. We protect ourselves from them. And, I mean, it's like jail is such a touchy subject where I've seen so much shit and, 
some things I question and you're just like, at the end of the day, it's like, look, they're here, they're incarcerated for a fucking reason, mm-hmm. you know? I wouldn't want to give them fucking, you know, McDonald's or whatever. I'm not saying it happens, but I don't want to give them any of that shit. You know, why would I reward them for fucking, you know, what they've done? If you look at the end of the day, how, how would you think the victim's family feels? Right. You know, like we have now, you got PlayStation on some of the blocks, like housing units. You know what I mean? Like you have that. We have dogs. We have cats at the jail now. We have programs for them. So certain inmates can care for these animals. And they've done a great job. You know what I mean? Like at first we had two dogs that came in that were, one was already adopted by family with a special needs child. So this is going to be like a service dog. And the other one, the other dogs, they were both black labs. They came from Paws. And I forgot what family this dog went to, but they had the inmates go through somewhat of a course to learn how to train these dogs. And they did a great job. Like these dogs, like you see them walking down the hallways, the inmates take care of them. Like mostly like lifers or long-term guys take care of them. And then we went from Paws to... What's the other organization? Mm, I don't know. Okay. What is it? What is Paul's or some, some other organization? Then when that hurricane in Florida happened a few years back, we took a lot of those dogs up north. Mm-hmm. So now, you know, we have quite a few cats. We, have, we just got in three puppies the other day. Um, like these dogs, they could be up for adoption from staff or, yeah. you know, whoever else. But, I mean... I mean, I, I believe in a lot of those things, but at the same time, jail is jail. You know, yeah. you can't relax too much because this shit's like a fucking, you know, it, it's a pressure cooker. At any time, it just blow up. And mm-hmm. even, like, I treat everyone as I would like to be treated. I, I, I'm professional about shit. Like, I'll treat you accordingly. I'm not going to go out of my way to fuck with you. I'm pretty fair. I would like to consider that I'm fair. And like I said, I've had a rapport with a lot of inmates only because that I'm fair. And, you know, I think that that's probably one of the most important things to have at the jail is to be consistent, being fair, and just being stern. And, you know, it will go a long way. Yeah. Uh, Being in your line of work, um, you know, and and knowing the guy from back in the day, what's your thoughts on, like, Nick Gage, the way he's carrying himself? He's got, like, some fuck the CEOs, I'm in a gang, cell block three. Like, how, how do you view that, knowing this guy? I It makes me laugh, you know what I mean? Because I, I know Nicky, so whenever I see him, it's always love with Nicky. Like, he knows what I do, you know what I mean? Uh, I'm, <laughs> I remember, what was it, the one tournament survival, I'm, I'm doing push-ups, and he's like, He's like, what are you doing, clips? And I'm like, what? What the fuck are you talking about? He's like, you doing clips? I was like, what the fuck is that? He's like, 30. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm doing clips. He's like, all right, I'll jump down with you. And then he jumps down. And it's just, it, it's, it's a whole different world. But, like, I mean, I'm happy he's out, you know, and doing his thing. Uh, we never got into, like, conversation about fuck the CEOs and any of this shit. I never heard him say it to me. I mean, yeah. Well, he ain't gonna yeah, say it to you. <laughs> He's gonna say it on interviews, and not to I find you. That, find it funny, like I mean, it, it, it's Nikki. Like, how can you not find it funny? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's wild. Um, I, I mean, I personally think pre-prison Gage was a lot more vicious than than post-prison Gage. I don't know what. What made that happen, but probably because he sees that there's repercussions for a lot of shit that you know that he's done that he hasn't been 
you know, he hasn't been like prosecuted or caught doing, you know what I mean? So he got to see it. <laughs> so I guess it yeah. changed a lot. Yeah. Um, so going back into wrestling, I mean, you know, thinking about, you know, getting back into things and you said about your closure, you know, what would be that closure? What are these matches that you're looking to have? Or is it like a dream match scenario where, do you, you know, you got a checklist to come down? I no, I never put one together, like because people come out of nowhere. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like Schlag's doing his thing. I would like to work with Schlag. I definitely want to work with Masada again. I wish Brain Damage was still alive because we've talked about working each other again. Um, Mance uh, Warner, that's who I want to work with. Definitely Mance. Mm-hmm. Um, I, there's the project, like I said, with me, Homicide, Key, and uh, with No. Like, we got we to gotta bring that out. Um, but really, when it comes down to a checklist, I don't really have, man. I never ever put down, like, hey, like, these are people want to work in this order because things change. Like, Mance, to me, like, you know, he came out of nowhere. I wouldn't have known who he was a couple of years ago. And then, you know, at the time, it wouldn't make my list. But right now, it's like I was supposed to work with him, like, for ICW, like, before this corona thing happened with the one no-holds-bar. And mm-hmm. I was looking forward to that. Now, hopefully, we'll do that soon. But, I mean... When it comes down to that, no, I don't, I'll work with anybody. You know what I mean? I just want to bring this, this idea that we've been sitting on. I want to bring that to light. That's it. That's the main thing. And just have fun with it. I just want to have fun. I don't want to, you know, go back into taking it to the point of, you know, where it would drive me fucking nuts. I just want to go back and having fun. Like I stated, like, I'm fucking envious of Ruckus because that fucking dickhead just manages to just have fun. That's why. And I remember him saying it to me. And I didn't at the time understand or comprehend what the fuck he was talking about. So I was too fixated on my world. And finally, I look at it. I was like, he goes out there and just has fun. And that's all that matters to him. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's where I would like to get to is to how Ruckus views wrestling. And that's right. it. Now, you know, from that stance of, you know, having fun, does that gear you more towards, you know, just putting it all out there rather than, you know, relying on the company to continue an angle and leave something out, you know, on the table like the Masada situation? Nah, I mean, if a company leaves it out there and then they have an angle, I'll definitely run the angle. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. that, as long as it's, it goes into me having fun. Like if it's an angle that, I, that I'm going to enjoy and have fun with, yeah, definitely. Like I wanted to, if Chikara was around, I wanted to go into Chikara wear a whole full body suit and be somebody else for a while. You know what I mean? I, <laughs> yeah. I wanted to just do something where it's like, no one knows it's me. I go do my shit and just wrestle. That's it. Like another bunny gimmick. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I had this whole like, Mexican mariachi gimmick with a couple of guys like desperados and shit and just be very <laughs> outlandish about it and be drunk and just do that. But, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm open for whatever. Like my thing is I'm not going to go into like the whole death match scene. It's not for me. Like these guys, they have it. You know what I mean? I don't need to do it. They don't need me to do it. Right. Um, you know, I do want to do a blood sport. I do want to do a no holds bar. Uh, there's a few guys I want to work with. Dominic Carini's one um, that I've been told I would work well with. Um, that's, you know, apparently a fan of mine from before, which mm-hmm. I was like, shit. 
Um, Mance, like I said, Masada, Schlack. Um, I mean, I want to work a couple more tag matches with G's. Like, he's one of the most underrated fucking guys out there that's unsigned, period. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, I do. I want to run some programs with him, tag. Uh, I want to work with Asriel again. Um, I want to work with Webb. I mean, you know, we're very close. I do want to work with Webb. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then tags with Homicide, tags with Key, all four of us together and eight mans. Like, I mean, the possibilities are endless. I just want to go yeah. out there and let us do our thing, and that's it. One I definitely want to see, you know, if you get back to, to getting in there is Dickinson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's another one. Because, you know, a lot of the stuff that you had been saying and stuff is, you know, the realism, the toughness, the actual fight feel to wrestling. And that's what I miss because I fell out of love with this shit because, you know, half of it is just it's it's not like it was. No. You know, I, I like seeing, you know, people fuck each other up, you know, just yeah. beat the shit out of each other, you know, and, and that believability, you know, you see in a Dickinson match, you see in some of these other guys. Like a lot of Dickinson matches are so unpredictable. Like I'm I'm a a fan of his when I watch a lot of his stuff and I see a lot of his clips and I'm just like, they're unpredictable. And it's like when he's in there, it's like, he's on, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Very, it's just, just, you could feel it. And then like, he displays his lethality. I mean, you just, you sit back and if you didn't know any better, like this motherfucker is going to fuck this dude up, you know? Yeah. Uh, The believability, everything, the intensity, like, he has it all, you know. I mean, he can put him up with anybody, and it's like the legitimacy is right there, you know. Not yeah. once you would think like, ah, oh, you know, it's you know fake or whatever. I mean, the guy has it all, and I, I'm a huge fan of his work, you know, huge fan. And just he, yeah, he's definitely one I would work with in the future. You know what I mean? If the opportunity presents itself, you know, it sucks. It's like with my job, it's like rotating schedules and shit, and you know, I'm a guy that I don't call out at all. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's just difficult with that. And then, you know, still like I'm going through like a divorce and having custody of my daughter. Like, I get her on all my days off. So literally like I work two on, two off. And every other weekend I do three days and they're 12 hour days and my days off, I get my daughter. So I don't mm-hmm. trade time with my daughter for anything. Sure. You know? Of course not. So, but I mean, like I said, like there's a lot of talks with me and a couple of promotions and it's just trying to just weigh in more or less the, the scheduling right now with things. Now, where do you think the, you know, the homicide, low key G's, you know, that click can actually exist and, and run the program that you hope for? Because I mean, GCW puts together some things, ICW puts together some things, but the angles really don't happen. They put on like dream matches and they put on just super shows, but they really don't draw anything out. Where could that live? I'm going to wait to see what opens up after this Corona bullshit ends. Mm. No, because right now everything's on a limited basis right now. So now it's just to see what happens afterwards especially to get all four of us at the same time. You're probably not going to get all four of us. Most likely you get three of us, you know, yeah. bringing in is a whole different. Yeah, low key. <laughs> That's another thing. Low key ain't working anywhere. Motherfucker better have a, a big ass fucking purse, but like yeah. that's a whole different thing. So the most you'll see is probably me G's inside, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then there's a couple of people that we have, 
you know, within this collaboration. But for right now, I would say we'll see what happens when Corona is done mm-hmm. and then go from there. Yeah, man. Um, so you'd be getting into the church's dungeon over there? No, I've only I've only used it during that promo that G's film. That was about it. Mm-hmm. Like I still have the membership, so I'm not gonna, you know, forfeit that or whatnot. <laughs> yeah. like, he's committed to this shit. God yeah. bless him. Because I know the home gym shit, my corona story, I remember doing uh skull crushers with fifties, with a fifty. My daughter was upstairs, I'm on the floor. For some dumb fucking reason, I decided to grab the dumbbells like this, like, and not the hexagon 50s. Uh-huh. I, I had this feeling it was going to happen. It was it was in the pit of my stomach, and I went with it anyway. And the dumbbell rolled from my fingers and smacked me right in my fucking mouth. So I ended oh, up getting shit. stitches here, one stitch in the inside. I remember when it hit me, I turned my face right away, bang, and I get that quick flash, like, black you know like a i wouldn't say like a knockout but it's like a quick flash black i get up i grab my face and i run right to my bathroom the first floor and right away i, I feel for my jaws like oh, my jaw's not broken checking my teeth i didn't lose any teeth and i see this gaping hole completely through right here mm-hmm. and then i had another one down here and then i had something in the inside so I'm, I'm checking and i see i see the blood and i open my mouth and i see like these particles in there and i'm like what the fuck is that so I start pulling out as pieces of teeth. So now I'm like, what the fuck? So I check my teeth and I chip the back of my canine. So that actually yeah. went inside, I bit into my mouth. So I go back to the living room and I see the blood trail. And I'm thinking, all right, I have to go to work the next day. So, and this is my day off. So I'm like, all right, fuck, what, how can I go on with my day without having to go to the hospital? So I look at this hole and I put my my uh, tongue against it to push it out and I could see the it's completely through and I'm like fuck I can't mm. hide this yeah so I I put in water in my mouth to rinse out and it's seeping through this and it's seeping down here so now I have two fucking holes so I text the girlfriend say hey I need you to come over to watch Ken's I gotta go to urgent care say like, what happened I explained to her and I take pictures and I send it to her so she gets there. You know, I go to urgent care, and this is the beginning of the corona shit, so everyone had to wear a mask. So I'm, like, the only one in there. There's no one in the waiting room. Now, mind you, they fucking make corona to be, like, the fucking vicious killer that it is. There's nobody at urgent care. So I sign this waiver. I go inside. I explain what happened. Then they give me a mask where I'm like, you know, it defeats the purpose of why I'm here. I'm going to bleed right through this thing. So I wait about me 15 minutes. I go in. They check me out. Ask me what happened. I explained it. We laughed a little bit. Then like, when was the last thing I got a tetanus shot? I was like, I'm trying to think. She's like, well, today. And I'm like, all right, whatever. So I get my stitches, get my shot. I go home. You know, that was my Corona story. Going to work the next day, like not that. But everyone knows, like, my face was kind of, like, like swollen in this area. Mm. And uh, I tell them the story. But the story I went with... Uh, you know, my girlfriend at the time hit me in the face with a 50-pound 50 t- 50 dumbbell only while I was on the shitter. It's the only time she can ever take advantage of me. And <laughs> apparently, that went, that went pretty well for a while. But, you know, then I told him the Skull Crusher story. But, yeah, uh, because of that story, I'll never do what Nell does with the whole home gym shit. Because I'll probably fucking hurt myself somewhere. I mean, the most I got is dumbbells, uh, adjustable dumbbells. I got a, a flat bench for home. 
Um, try to maintain as much. I end up putting this bullshit ass COVID dad bot on the whole fucking time. Like, <laughs> like for me, like I could put on weight like crazy, like mass mm. without doing much. I don't eat a lot. I'm not a heavy drinker. Like I'm a, I'm a whiskey guy, but I'm not like a heavy beer drinker. I'm not a heavy sweets person. Like I'm like anyone else. You get a sweet tooth once in a while. Like, like I said, I don't eat eat at all like at one point i was intermittent fasting i do 20 hours of intermittent fasting no sure. problem and it doesn't bother me mm-hmm. but i just put on weight because of lack of activity and like i ballooned up right now i'm like two a little over 240 this is the most i've ever weighed even on the juice i didn't weigh this much wow so now it's getting my body back into it again like i'm back at the gym i'll go early in the morning knock out my cardio hit the weights go home I still don't get a huge appetite. Like, you know, I try to watch what I eat, you know, throughout the day, cut down a lot of the drinking here and there. But like, like I said, I'm a whiskey guy, so that's kind of hard. But, you know, I drink responsibly. I would like to think so. But um, <laughs> other than that, I mean, you know, just get my body back into it. Uh, get, I give them oh, the mad respect for doing it. Like I said, I don't think I can do it. I mean, being like a home gym, you quit at any time. So many distractions around you, but yeah. you know, God bless, God bless. I figured a way you like danger. That shit would have motivated you to do more because you're all about that danger effect. Uh, no, I, I'm a father too, so I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hear you, man. But yeah, um, I, I think I covered everything I wanted to, man. Like, I, I can't thank you enough. Um definitely looking to have you back on for a while so is there anything else you want to put out there Matt, it, it's i was telling jesus yesterday it's like it's so it's like when you do these things you don't want to go so long doing it you know what i mean like i hate having like the beginning of every interview is like so how'd you get into wrestling i fucking hate that that question you know what i mean yeah. and a lot of us do shit like you say it once and that's about it but yeah. it's like there's so many things that you want to get off and talk about Mm-hmm. But you never get it all out. Like, it, you know what I mean? It doesn't all come out. Like, like the DJ story had to come out. You know what I mean? And yeah. I don't wish the dude any harm by no means. You know what I mean? Like, he he's going to do his thing. I don't fucking agree with it. You know, the guy robbed me of my fucking, you know, happiness and robbed me of my memories of Combat Zone in a way. Like, I'll never go back to working for this fucking guy. But at the same time, like, I don't wish to do any harm or anything. Whatever happens to him, happens to him, because he fucking probably did something to deserve it regardless. But for me, nothing. Yeah. Um, You know, personal life things, politics, religion, all that other shit. Like, you know, that, you know, in between, like, at some point, we I come back on again and we'll talk about other shit. But Absolutely. Man. You know, but the main thing is, hey, I, I enjoy doing these with guys like yourself and things. Like, you know, like we get a platform to let people know that, you know, we're fucking people too. You know what I mean? We have our, you know, a lot of insights and our perspective on the things that are happening now. And I enjoy coming on these things. I mean, after I did the thing with Niles last week, I mean, I was, I was, I think I was driving to pick up my, my daughter from her grandparents. And when he put the Facebook thing, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'll jump on. And I didn't mm-hmm. realize, I didn't, I didn't expect him to be on that night. So, but uh, no, I was looking forward to this. And last time being on this, you know, it's a now it's like, you know, anytime, just hit me up. I'll definitely jump on. Absolutely, man. It's like I said, I fell out of love with this shit. So, you know, as far as the wrestling goes, so I really haven't done interviews in the past 
probably year, two years. And there's a handful of people I, I could talk to, you know, and it's, it's more of those, those people, you know, that believability that, that I could talk to a real dude, someone that's not just bullshitting me. I'm not looking to play along. I'm not, I want to talk to yeah. Mickey Mouse on the fucking show. You know what I mean? I, I've had people on to stay in gimmick the whole time. Oh, you're a snake. now. I'm not trying to hear that shit, you know? So, you know, good conversation with just a real dude. That's, you know, that yeah. works for me, man. So, yeah, man, I think that's about, about it. Uh, thanks again for coming on, man. Uh, you want like social media or anything you want to put out there? Just Facebook. That's all right. It's Q Posada. Like, it's my mother's, you know, maiden name. You know, I use that. I don't talk to that bitch anymore either. But, <laughs> but oh, still- one more thing, since you, you brought that up. What made you think you could change your name this far into the fucking wrestling business? <laughs> you know what's fucked up? Like, Missy... <laughs> Missy's like, you know, Q's a bitch. And I'm like, what? She's like, Joker never got hurt. You fucking changed your name and you fucking... <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you do got a point. Uh, I, at the time, it was like, me... It, was, it goes back to me, D, and Key, and we're talking about moving with our idea and that's why i changed the name to fit what was going to happen and it's hard because i ran this name for so long to where it's like if i were to jump on tv for example would they let me use joker or are they going to change so it's it was just one of those like ah, let me try this out real quick and i guess I cursed myself and had the worst injury in my whole fucking life. <laughs> yeah. I had my first ever surgery and, you know, it changed a life and everything. And, you know, I, I don't think I can ever get away from the Joker. Name. Like that's it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Once you're established, it's tough. I mean, B-Boy was kicking it around a couple of years ago talking about change. I'd say, who the fuck do you think you are? Who's going to call you anything but B-Boy? Like yeah. h- how many times are you going to have to tell the commentators pre-show? Like, don't say B-Boy. Like, come on. Exactly. So, <laughs> so you know, I'm, I'm, it's me. I mean, it ain't gonna change. It is what it is. As long as you keep being what you are out there, I don't give a fuck what you call yourself. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Man. Overseas, I was called Congo, King Congo, Peanut. That was a nickname. Yeah, that's that's a wild one. I heard that on Sozio show. <laughs> Who the fuck calls you Peanut? <laughs> man, I spoke, they called me Peanut. So I was like, where did that come from? But yeah, man, thanks again, man. Yeah, anytime, brother. You guys have a good one. Absolutely. Have a good night.